You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. about that guys now we're recording and you're not going to hear the great story that i just no we were just you were we were talking about uh the people who look at just like regular ass smoking weed like it's so quaint yeah it's like oh oh are you gonna you're gonna have some plant matter oh you're gonna smoke some plant matter how quaint uh you're gonna you're gonna kick it analog (laughs) you're gonna kick it old school (laughs) oh a cassette (laughs) oh Oh, people are putting out cassettes again. Convenient. That's so fun. You can't listen to it on anything. <laughs> Welcome to episode 73 of the motherfucking podcast. 73. 73. Dang. Yeah, man. Who did we have for 69? Who was on here? Was it just you and me just talking? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was actually. Yeah. yeah 69. And, th- and I started oh, it with a story wow. I can't untell. Like... That is like out there in the world and like scores of people have listened to it. Yeah, you're pretty out there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 73 of the motherfucking podcast. This is, of course, the official podcast of the international power rock combo motherfucking ruckus from Denver, Colorado and Chicago, Illinois, respectively. I'm Aaron. I'm Gordo back here in the booth. And, uh... We have a very special guest on the program today, someone I've been wanting to get in here for a while, Uh, someone I've certainly known casually for many years, you know, in like little like split second conversations and venues here and there. We did work together for a little bit, I guess. We've had some very long late night conversations. Oh, actually, that's true. (laughs) I forgot about that. I think- Very deep. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. We'll get into that. Um, Yeah. Don't expect me to remember any of it. (laughs) Hey, I I remember remember a, a few things. I remember like, I remember the configuration of like how we were sitting and I remember Me too. where it was. Me too. I, I don't remember specifically what we were talking about. It was but very philosophical. It was when you're getting into life coaching. Oh yeah. Like, oh see, I do remember more than I thought I did. It was oh yeah, because you were you were uh taking me to task. You were like you were like, No, 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 no. So you tell me. You tell me why I should come see you. Why why do I need you? And then we spent like the like till the sun came up. I mean, you can imagine what we were doing sitting around in a circle. No, I don't think that's the sound it makes. If you make, if you make, yeah, yeah. If you make, if you make the other sound, you blow it all over the place, and everyone gets really, really mad at you. Uh, please welcome to the show a uh, badass on the bass guitar and a legendary onstage personality. I would say is is oh shucks is is a is a fair way to. To, is a fair attribution. Please welcome to the program from Hemikuda and Egoista and uh, Nashville Pussy even for a long time. Uh, please welcome to the show the one and only Karen Kuda. Hello. Thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. 
You refuse to take edibles before getting on the air. Yeah, I got shit to do. Yeah, and and let's. If you want me to talk, it's wise. <laughs> it is wise. Nope. <laughs> I think so. Just to give people a little context, you actually play in a band with Ruben, who was on the show last week. Yes. So you and Ruben are in Egoista together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and I saw your uh, Crash Pad episode. That was really fucking good. Oh, nice. Oh, you guys did yeah. an episode of the Crash uh, yeah. Live from the Crash Pad? Yeah. How yeah. was that? Was that fun? It was a blast. It looked like a lot of fun, and it, it was, sounds fucking great, of yeah, course. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Like, just went and hung out, recorded, like, what, I don't know, four songs, maybe five, and told Bart just to pick which ones he wanted to use. Hung out all day. Did you do any, like, them, I haven't watched any of those yet, so you did do an interview mm-hmm. section. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And then he puts it together and edits it, but he's got cameras from all angles. and Yeah, I saw that. Mixes the song. So now we've got, actually, those um, live tracks are available on Egoista Band Camp. Cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I Man, I kind of want to hit up Bart and see about going on and doing that. We it were looks only like episode three, so he's doing a bunch. He's yeah. booked out until May of next year. What? For real? <laughs> For real? I, I, think, I think Tweed's going to get on in like April or May of next what? year. What? <laughs> Good for him. I thought we were killing it by being booked out through December, man. We are booked out through December, by the way. Yeah, I know. So I, yeah, I, 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 catch, wanna... I catch up with the uh, Google Calendar every now and then. I see that. Yeah, I should I should shoot part an email and try and get us on that. That's fucking awesome, man. So, uh, so yeah, so you're in Ruben Plays Drums for, e- is it Egoista? Egoista. 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 It's because I play with a couple Mexicans. <laughs> What's, um, so what is it? That's like it a... It selfish in Spanish. It's like a, it's it's like like a Spanish ego, egoist. Right. Yes. Okay, Egoista. They're actually not Mexican. <laughs> That's just our joke. It's Karen and the Mexicudas. That's our... Uh, Karen and the Mexicudas? <laughs> That's our... <laughs> That's our alter ego. So well, we so we had Ruben on here last week, and at the very beginning of the episode, I gave him one of Granny's ice creams, and the whole first half of the show is just like him, very animated, telling these like really compelling and fascinating stories, super, super interesting stories, yeah. fascinating yeah. stories about his like time growing up in Peru, you know. But then we go and we take a break, and you can hear it on the recording. Right before we go on break, he's like, ooh, I think that ice cream's kicking in. And then we go out and we take a break and we come back in and literally for the whole second half of the episode, he's just got his arms crossed and he's like leaning back in a chair and like, I'm like, so tell us what's going on with, with the Bracheros and da-da-da-da-da and you play with this band and And he's just like, oh yeah, man, it's, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, man. It was good. Right before I started recording that second half, you know, you, you mentioned the, you know, the ice cream or whatever. Right, right, right. simply like, he his head dropped onto the table. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he showed up to rehearsal after that, right? Kind of. So he whatever, sort of. Whatever planet he was on, he was he was there. He physically. was technically <laughs> physically present for rehearsal. So what was rehearsal like when he showed up? Uh, you know, you can probably imagine it was like, wait, wait, how does that go? Wait, we'd <laughs> take a break and he'd pass out for a minute and then we'd listen to a song and he'd be like totally falling asleep and I'd be like, you're falling asleep. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> listening, man. Asleep. I'm just, I'm just listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can't do that anymore, Gordo. Well, I hope, I hope uh, I sure, can be sure equally can. as entertaining. <laughs> Oh no! You'll definitely this this show has has not done me wrong yet. 
it has always it has always yielded something uh, engaging and enjoyable. Like it is, we haven't done a bad episode. Which, is, in my opinion, and I've written a lot of bad songs. I've put a lot of bad, bad songs out there. But bad podcasts, <laughs> not a single one. Every one of them is at least entertaining. And so, even if it's really bad, we had the one episode where it sounded the entire thing sounded like it was underwater, and that was still That's that was right, still yeah, enjoyable to yeah. me. So uh, let's start with the first time I remember seeing you perform. Before I even knew you or knew who you were, I saw you in Hemikuda play at the Gothic Theater with Cephalic. Yes. Like a very, very, very long time ago. Wasn't there like a wrestling rink in the middle, a wrestling ring in the middle of the floor I think there, too? I think there was. was. Like, and it was like Blister and oh, yeah. Cephalic and us. You guys wrestled? I don't know if I'm, what? I no, I don't know if I'm mixing up shows here because, you know. Wait, wait, wait. Did you guys wrestle each other? No, but they had like some pro wrestling stuff going on or amateur pro wrestling. Okay. Whatever, whatever you call that. That, that might have been there and all I saw was the bands play. Man, I think I would. I don't I, know if that's the same show though. So I could be Well, could that be show sounds memories. way better. <laughs> that show sounds way better. And why, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? So there I was watching you play and suddenly... Uh, uh, Steve from Cephalic just like suspended from a cable just lowered himself onto the stage and like called you out and challenged you to a fight and you guys had a fight in the octagon and it was uh, I want to say that you took him out with a with a suplex that was probably how it ended no I don't know the, the first time I remember seeing you was at the Gothic Theater with with Cephalic and you were playing with Hemikuda and then uh and, and, and maybe like one other time at 15th Street Tavern, that was really the only opportunity I got to see really? Hemi. Really? And 14 yeah. years. But you got to remember, I I am a few years younger than you. So shh, I, shh, I mean, <laughs> I was didn't get into the scene what until you, much later in about, life. Man? That's what I meant to say. I didn't get into the scene until much later in life. That's what I meant. Well, there's also this, you know, rock or be rocked and a lot of us spend time rocking rather than being rocked so we miss a lot of shows right that's true um so why don't you tell me a little bit about about Hemikuda and and some of the the history with that band and and what ultimately led to you guys uh disbanding and and why you're not doing it anymore well that's like five questions and it's been so long i i don't even know where to start but um we were a band and we rocked and we lasted for like 14 years and 14 years i joined nashville pussy a few years before we disbanded and uh kept it going and i don't think we were all on the same page at that point and it kind of just went was your was your attention kind of focused on nashville pussy at that point too because you guys had a pretty intense touring schedule I mean, from what i remember it was in the sense that I was gone all the time. Right. But we'd still book shows for Hemikuda and I'd still be in practice and promote and do all the things I would have done right. had I been here. And it's not like we played in town a ton anyway. So um, personally, I don't feel like it affected it that much. I don't know if my cohort felt the same. So. Right. Right. Um, however, Jim from Mutiny is going to be re-releasing our last record on vinyl. What? Yeah. No way. Wow. That's really cool. When Stay did you... tuned for anything that might come along with that. I don't know. We'll see. So when did you guys record that? 
in like 2004, I think it came out. Okay. A long Two, time ago. So it is out. It's a recording that's out, but it's just going to be Yeah, it came out on CD on and it's on iTunes and CD, but it's, yeah, he's going to reissue it on vinyl with like the really cool, you know, candy-like Hemikuda presentation. Are you guys going to do anything to promote it? Or are you going to do any reunion well, shows? That is that is to be determined. It's oh. coming. It's we're we're shooting for next summer, so we've got some time to Yeah, you got some time to talk about out. it, chew it, chew over it. Negotiate, you know, try to wrangle my former bandmates into Right. doing it, so we'll see. Well, it was just 3 of you, right? Well, it's predominantly me and Annika, and right. then we had about fourteen thousand drummers. <laughs> See, that's what I thought. It was you. It was you and Annika that like kept it going forever and ever. It was your project. Yeah, like, you guys did all the writing together, and 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 went through it like total Spinal Tap esque oh, totally. revolving lineup of of drummers. Totally. So, I mean, if if we were to do a reunion show, I think it would be really fun to just have a bunch of different drummers. <laughs> Have a bunch of you the know, drummer. have a yep. bunch of the drummers that already played with us. Maybe have you know, Ruben's always been a big Hemikuda fan. Maybe have him sit in and play some drums with us. Marco, the other guy, and Egoista is also a drummer. That would in be addition really to fun. Singer and guitar player, and um, and actually, that's a really funny story because that's how I met Marco in two thousand four. Um, I met him in well, ran into him at a Strung Out show here in Denver at the Gothic. And he goes, are you Karen Kuda? I was like, yeah, well, what's up? He's like, I met you in Hollywood in 2004, and you asked me to play with your band, Hammy Kuda. I was like, no, <laughs> way. Which is also the same tour that Nashville Pussy called me to see if I wanted to play with them. But uh, so all these years later, so I was like, yeah, you got a good memory, dude. That's like 15 years ago. So all these years later, now we're in a band together. Well, you together. stand out. You know, now you we're in a band together. So That's really cool. That's small, the small world of rock and roll. I well, tell you what. And 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 I guess when you have gone through ma- as many drummers as see, you've done it the smart way. Like drummers, everybody's constantly like struggling to find a drummer. It's like fuck, my drummer just quit, and I don't know what to do about you know finding a new. Like you just put as many seeds out there as possible, and then that's what he said. Yeah, hey oh, <clears throat> and then and then just like. They just bear fruit over the many years. And he had finally come to fruition, had finally ripened, and was ready to come play with you. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we had, at the time, we were out with um, the drummer for Gaza Strippers used to play with us oh, no way. On, a, on a few tours. And he was on that one. And uh, he was going on tour with us to get sober, if that tells you anything. So... Um, <laughs> so I, I got to get it together. I need to, like, go on tour or something. <laughs> Nightmarish is a is a light term there, but um, another tour that we I think actually that was the same tour. He wasn't able to get into Canada, and so those were this was back in the days of MySpace, you know, when all right. of our like networking became really easy and networking with new people. And I was talking to the old drummer of SNFU, who lived in Vancouver, and was like, "Hey, do you want to play with us? Our drummer can't get into the country." And sent him some stuff, and we crossed the border one afternoon, jammed with him for like four hours, and played a couple shows. See, no, here's a question: How did have you come to know all these these friends that you have in in, in arguably iconic bands? You know, just rocking. Well, I mean, were you were you touring a lot with Hemi? Like, how much touring did Hemi Kuda do? Did you meet these guys doing that, or or were you doing the the uh, the main support? 
gig here in Denver. Kind of a little of all through. of that stuff. I yeah. mean, Hemikuta didn't tour a ton, and we'd always kind of do, we did like one, you know, some Midwest stuff and some East Coast stuff. And you know how it is, like being from Denver when you go on tour, there's, you know, you have to travel eight hours to get to any Anywhere. next right. major city. And at the time, Denver wasn't a huge hub for shows like it is now. Right. So, you know, we would do the West Coast Loop, you know, or we'd do a little Midwest run or we had, you know, I think the only, we only did like East Coast like once or twice. But we didn't tour that much, you know, and it was totally like DIY operation back then and stuff. So I met a lot of people through that, met a lot of people through networking, met a lot of people through being support um, right. bands, um, you know, and then over the years, once I joined Nashville Pussy, same right. same thing, but you know, it's just people in these bands become your colleagues, rather you know. Right. So you're and, around them all the time. You're playing shows. Yeah, and together. you stay in you, touch with them, and they you're working kind of, with the same people. Right, and they get to know you from a musical aspect rather than just a social aspect, and so right. you maintain these relationships, and you know, you earn their respect, and you know, I mean, we're not very forgettable either. So there's that. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. For sure. Mm. So, so Hemikuta didn't do a lot of touring. You did go out. You did go out to the West Coast a little bit. You said, and and you had mentioned briefly. I remember this as being my experience when we first started touring in like the late '90s, early 2000s. And by that time, even with you know AOL being a full-on thing, and then a little bit later, you know MySpace being a full-on thing, even then, Denver. You kind of felt like you were waving this tiny little Colorado flag and going, "Yeah, us too." Like, oh my god, totally! You, you nailed know. it. And and then you get you get to towns on the West Coast, especially like towns towns in any of the like major markets. You tell them you're from Denver, and all of a sudden they like have these images in their head of Cowtown, like, cow, total Cowtown. Like wah, wah. like people asked if we rode horses. Like, and this is in this is in two thousand. People are asking us if we like ride horses and if we have traffic lights and if we have computers and stuff like that. You're like, but, no, you got to go to the Amish country <laughs> up on the East Coast. Yeah, to, right. To eliminate all that stuff. Yeah, I, and that 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 was just something that was always so funny to me is like growing up and being in like high school or being around the you know being around the scene and people, especially people in the scene, talking about you know Denver sucks. I want to I want to move to L.A. or I want to move to San Francisco or I want to move to New York or Austin or Seattle and they're naming off all these places they'd rather be. And then Kansas. Well, Kansas just wanted to escape to Kansas, <laughs> and then and then things changed and we became this like major market. And the same people that were talking about wanting to move to these major markets are still saying the same shit because now they don't want us to be all popular. Exactly. They're like, oh, Denver used to be great. Now it sucks. <laughs> totally. I want to move somewhere. It's it's just like Seattle or San Francisco or Austin. Or people or, are like, oh, it's so expensive. I'm going to move to New York City. Yeah, yeah, right? Cool. I know. I know. It's pretty funny. Um, so how much touring is not that much touring? <clears throat> Oh, I don't know. Were I you mean, guys definitely... going out every year? Were you like? Doing oh yeah, it? we would we we would go out every, I don't know, at least a cut two or three times a year. You know, we do a couple week jaunts here and there for. I don't know. I I don't even remember how many we did. I would say probably at least like ten of those. You know, right. little couple week jaunts, and we didn't start touring until a f you know fair way into our existence. So. 
you were doing the but bar I, band thing for several years before you even even started touring. Oh yeah, for sure. And before I even recognized how important touring was, I think working at the 15th Street right. Tavern really, right? You know, helped me learn a lot more about that whole. Just seeing so many bands come in there. Totally, and yep. and yeah, you know, when it's DIY, it's more like you know, vacation. You right. know, while you're carrying your gear and it's playing vacation rock with shows, your friends, as opposed to when I was in Nashville Pussy and it was like full time. It's a that job. Was, yeah, my living. It's a job. I was a really fucking fun job. Yeah, a super. Fun <laughs> I almost job. don't even want to call it a job because it wasn't didn't feel too jobby. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. We can we can come back to some of the to the more root stuff. I'm curious how you came to be in Nashville Pussy. Like how how did that end up happening <clears throat> for you? How did you even? Find yourself in the position where you would get that call. Well, uh, I guess just being out and about and that network that we talked about. So right. um, we were in Hollywood playing at the Knitting Factory with our friends, the Streetwalking Cheetahs, who used to come through the tavern all the time. Right. And we've maintained that relationship, did a bunch of shows with them all over. And and uh, we played a show with them. And... Um, a few days later, my friend Fr- Frank from the Streetwalk and Cheetahs called and said, hey, uh, I gave your info to Nashville Pussy. They're going to be calling you. Oh, wow. So, um, so of course, you know, we talked and they said, hey, we heard about you. We're looking for a bass player. Come out to Atlanta, see if it works out. So I did. And that story, there's a lot more to that story that's kind of funny. But anyway, it was years and years and years later that I realized from reading an interview that... Um, Frank, they had called Frank, who was a mutual friend of ours, and we had a bunch of friends in common, and he said that uh, he had some ideas for people that he wanted to play, and I guess after we played that show together in L.A., he called them back, and he's like, forget everybody, Karen's a girl. That's really cool. And so I went out to Atlanta, you know, played, I guess it was an audition, it was a pretty informal audition. Um And then they didn't really say anything, and then they took me out partying that night. Right. And then they told me that they had to make sure I was cool to party with before they could hire me (laughs) because we were going to be hanging out all the time. Right, right. So I guess I I was pretty cool to party with. And, you know, at one point we're all hanging out in Blaine and Ryder's kitchen, and I'm sitting on the countertop, and I ripped a giant fart and (laughs) was like, this means I'm really comfortable with you guys. (laughs) And um, so, you know, the rest is history. That's great. Oh, and I also didn't find that out until reading an interview, too, that that just really won Blaine's heart over. And he was like, she's our girl. So, so like (laughs) cemented with a fart. Well, we have we have made proverbially cemented. Hopefully it wasn't (laughs) cemented in real life. (laughs) Um, Like we've talked a lot on this show about. Like our hierarchy of priorities when it comes to bandmates, and number one before playability is you got to be able to hang. You know that's like yeah, such hanging, a, hanging is very important. the hang is is tantamount. Oh, for sure, especially when you're on the road with these people for 250 days a year. Exactly, and especially like like in an intense environment like touring with Nashville Pussy is because you guys. You guys aren't Yo-Yo Ma and uh, the fucking orchestra that are like going out and playing your concert and then going back to the hotel and getting some sleep. No, we were a, fucking off the rails. Yeah, you guys all the time, all the time. <laughs> and I remember, I remember playing with you guys in Green Jello, and 
at uh, oh, the God. Aggie. Was it the it Aggie? wasn't at the Aggie. It was. It we was did in many shows Denver. with you guys. I know. Oh, Three Kings probably. No, it wasn't Three Kings. It was. Remember when Cervantes had? Oh, the other Cervantes side. Other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. we played together at the other side, and I and it was Green Jello, you guys, and Psycho Stick, and we played with you guys. Oh I God, remember. that was the worst fucking bill <laughs> ever. <laughs> Was it and terrible? we were with those guys for 10 weeks. You were with them for 10, ten weeks. weeks? What was so awful about it? Their music. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> and, mean. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, we all remember when the Three Little Pigs song came out. I was out. in the Green Jello fan club. Sure. Well, right. You know. yeah, but then yeah. you see them live, and, and it was just like this super fucking half-assed. Oh, like, yeah. Like, we're not going to dress up in the whole Elmo costume, but we're just going to put the head on. Right. You know, and it was just like, I, I mean, all those guys were really nice. And they did and have the a, costumes had started taking Oh, a my God. They had a whole trailer of props and shit. And it was just the worst shit ever. And Bill, what was it? Is Bill, is that the guy's name? The the lead dude from? Yeah, yeah. And he, he was like the only original person yeah. left, right? It's just Bill and a bunch of like... You know, hired hands that he has coming in. Yeah. Just watch. And, and there was even like rotating casts throughout that tour. Right. And then and then our um, front of house guy started playing drums with them. Or I think maybe it was guitar. I don't know. Um, you probably know Mark. Oh, yeah. Mark Borders. Yeah. yeah. Mark Narc Nerders. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, of course, we teased him a lot about that. But, um, yeah. They he were was just, a rotating they were cast member for... He was, That's and and many hilarious. bands actually. Um, I got to get Mark on here. Some Mark you know, is you know Mark fu- Borders. He's in. Uh, okay. He plays hilarious. drums. He plays drums for um, uh, Max Sabbath, right? He he tour. Ma- oh, shh. I mean, he doesn't play drums. He's for the Max. man. I don't think he's you the have manager right. for. Um, uh, what's the character's name? The the Hamburglar. <laughs> The oh, hamburger that plays drums. He's got some name. We just broke kayfabe, man. Huh. We just broke kayfabe. We just threw him under the bus. Oh. True. He played true. with the dwarves for a while. That's right. He did play with the dwarves. And for then a while. when he lived here in Denver, I connected him with some folks, and the whole town just like adored him. Oh, within I love. A week. I love Mark. He's so he worked dude. at all of our venues. Yeah, he was our. He was one of our engineers great. at Three Kings for a while. He's, I, yeah, he's I my, adore he's Mark. He's my buff. And he looks and sounds exactly like Steve-O with a southern accent. Oh, my God. We got um, Nashville Pussy's van broke over, broke down on the side of the road one time. I don't remember where we were, middle of nowhere. And this cop pulled over to, like, help us and give us a ride to the dealership up the street. Right. And Mark gets it's me and Ryder and Mark sitting in the back of the cop car. And the cop looks back and he goes, has anybody told you you look exactly like Steve-O? <laughs> and it was just this, like, super troopers moment where we just all started cracking up. And it's like, nope, nobody's ever said that Never, before. Never, sir. But kind of surreal that we were, you know, joking around sitting in the back seat of a cop car. <laughs> That's pretty fucking good. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so, so, yeah. So, I remember, I remember seeing Blaine and Ryder on that tour, and just, and I remember thinking, God damn, they look so fucking tired. <laughs> like, Ouch. just like they just look like they've been partying for probably by that time five weeks straight. You know what I mean? Every single night. That's like, that's one of the hardest things about doing the the good time rock and roll shtick is you go to a town and 
the people in that town don't care that you've been partying your ass off all you know for five weeks straight and you're not feeling it it's friday night every night right friday night for them (laughs) that's their night out and you've got to be you've got to be prepared to fucking do it you know and it just like i to me blaine and Ryder are like timeless like they they look road worn and weary but they've stayed at the same level of road worn and weary For the entire time that I've been following their, it's what band you call uh, rock and roll professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> that that's like the, the 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 the. There's a certain level where I think maybe it's like just music keeping you young to a degree, or maybe it's the preservatives or or whatever it is that happens out there on the road. Like you hit this like aging plateau if you manage to stay on the road and keep it going. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. You look the same as you've always looked to me. Well, thanks. Yeah, you look you look the same as when I saw you at the Gothic Theater all those years ago when I was when I was a, a wee shaver. For but, all you blind people, just feel your headphones right now. Yeah, get yeah, a yeah. Sense of what my just feel face the voice like. and imagine <laughs> outward from there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, what was I going to ask you about? Okay, so. When you were kind of when you were explaining how you ended up got getting the the call, there there was a lot behind that. There was that was a pretty. I could see that there was more to unpack uh, unpack behind that, and kind of immediately what popped into my head is this idea of like at the time that you were gigging at the Fifteenth Street Tavern, a lot of bands were coming through Denver and playing that place that we would now think of as like legendary. Oh yeah, like, like the Queens of the Stone Age. Queens of the Stone Age and played there. When, uh, and I think that was Halloween and Angie, I was dressed up like the chicken lady from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> um, That's great. Disturbingly so. And I think Angie was a mermaid, but yeah, that was that was a crazy show. And then there was a time where White Stripes opened right. for Hemikuda. White stripes open for Hemikuda. Yeah, wow. and so it's crazy now working at all Scott's bars, uh, Larimer Lounge and Lost Lake and Globe Hall, and seeing these posters that he has from the tavern days when he used to book shows there. Right. And it's like oh, I was at that one. I was at that one. I was at that one. You know. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy to like, think. Turbo Negro played there. I want to think. Uh, I want to say Speed Dealer used to play there. Oh yeah. Uh, Mastodon. Mastodon played Nashville there. Nashville Pussy. Nashville Pussy, of course. Um. That was my introduction to Nashville Pussy. Actually, was, was seeing the, them they at were, the 15th well, Street Well, I didn't. I didn't see the show. I worked at Soundtown at the time, and the gal I worked with was like, "Oh my god, I saw this show at the Tavern last night, and it was so killer." And she was telling me about it. And then they were on our jukebox, so I would hear "Go Motherfucker Go," like you know, nightly, multiple times. Did it ever even occur to you as as even being a possibility that you would go on to like play with them? They were just another didn't, band on the Duke. Yeah, it didn't, at didn't that point. cross my mind at all until there was. Well, I was like, hey, I was buying, buying car, I was worried about you going to play with you guys. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> You're saying? It so took me a while. Go. It took me a while to understand him. <laughs> so, what were you? Did you work at 15th Street Tavern, or you were mm-hmm. were you just hanging out there? So you bartended there. I bartended there for like seven years, kind of Get like the fuck out of here during during its heyday. In fact, Annika hired me, and that was right. I think after we started Hemikuda, or maybe that's I can't even remember how I met her. Jeez, that's so long ago. Um, but yeah, she hired me there, and I was there for like seven years. 
until I realized I had to quit before I got murdered. Before you got murdered? Yeah. Just because of how <laughs> dangerous that area was at the time? Yeah, in that bar. Yeah. Yeah. So like how crazy so? shit like, happened what, there. What was going down that was like oh, making man, you fear you for would, your safety? Well, I mean, aside from the guy that got killed out front before I worked there. Get the fuck out. There was like, got stabbed or something. And then there was like, if you'd work in the daytime, there would be guys that had just gotten out of jail. Right. You know, that would come in and they'd just have their little pink slip that was their identification. And they would you fight with one another across oh, yeah. across the bar and threaten to kill each other. And, you know, had to kick out so many people and file so many police reports. And, and, then, uh, and then there was one guy one time that kicked my ass there. What? And then like that whole- Like when you were there by yourself? Was this like late at night closing the bar? What uh, happened? I was, I was there just hanging out and, um, and Luke was my boyfriend then. Okay. Schmaltzy. And uh, we'd broken up or something and I was just in a shit mood and was drinking a lot. And, and this guy was staring at me and I felt all cantankerous and was like- he was giving you the heebie-jeebies. Fuck you, dude. And he just came over and fucking, like, punched me in the face while I was sitting down. And it just got really gnarly. And, the, like, every guy in the bar took him all out, took him outside and beat the fuck out of him. And Holy was, shit. Uh, like, he must have known that ass whooping was coming. Dude, it was So, like, it was, was that crazy. important for him to stand up and... And pop you one. That wow. was just crazy. that was just crazy. And then like you know going to court over that whole thing. Like there were people that would be outside my house. Right. And yeah, that was there gnarly. Would be people that would be outside your house. Was it like a media event? No, it was like like once you press charges against somebody, they have access to your information. So he knew where I lived, and whether it was what? him or his friends, like they were just trying to intimidate me. What? Yeah, it was real super gnarly. Jesus. Man. And it was just like things like, I mean, it seemed really normal at the time. It was like, oh, this is a rowdy fucking bar. I can hang, whatever. Right. You know, I'm punk rock. And then these things would just happen more and more often. And I was like, you know, there was no interest from the owners at the time to care for our safety. And they right. would have the girls there by themselves during the day with all these derelicts. And, Right. And, uh, you know, I just realized that it was in my best interest to leave. You, you know, people people <laughs> who might be new to this town don't realize that, like, like Denver was Denver was rough at one point, especially downtown around 15th Street. Like the jail is walking distance from there. Like you can you can walk over from the Denver City Jail to the 15th Street Tavern. And that that's where you're getting these guys that you're talking about. But. People would be going down on their way to Panhandle and would stop into places. Oh, yeah, and they would you know? park their shopping carts out front. Oh, yeah, man. I re- Dude, I remember that was that was like when I was a teenager and we were playing like work permit shows there. Like this is what I'm talking about. Like I had to get a work permit to play at 15th Street I Tavern did at the Lions. Lions Lair. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We had to get work permits to play the I Lair, I wish I too. still had that thing. I carried it around in my case forever. God, what a funny thing Me that too. would be to frame. Man. Yeah, you know, and Permission it, slip from my mom. Yes, you may rock at this shitty little punk rock club. Oh, yeah. We had to, <laughs> we had to like go down to the courthouse. You had to like go down to the courthouse. You had to get it signed by your parents. That that's something you got to give a lot of credit to with with regard to the tavern and and the lair is that they were willing to take a risk. I think that a lot of venues nowadays wouldn't be willing to take. You know, it's well, it's interesting that you say that because now working uh, for those that don't know, Scott Campbell booked 
the 15th Street Tavern back in the day. That's where right. he cut his teeth. And now he owns the Larimer Lounge, Lost Lake, and Globe Hall, which are Denver's right. three best you know, independent small venues. Well, and AEG adjacent well, yeah. small venues. You yeah, know, and then he's a VP you... for AEG. Right. So we get a lot of crossover, even though he maintains the independence of his venues. Right. He knows how to work it to get some crossover with some And he gets good great bands. bands. And, he gets great bands. Yeah, I mean, he's he's so on the ball now, but um, now I forgot what I was saying. You were talking about... Uh, we, well, we were talking about. Oh, I made the comment that uh, places like 15th Street oh, yeah, and yeah. Lions Lair so, took a risk that a lot of venues. Yeah, and so now when I uh, working at those venues, all of the shows are 16 and up, every single one of them. Really, at Larimer and, and Lost Lake. Yeah, and Globe Hall, and and really? not that I a lot of that. not a lot of young people show up I all the time. I know that. Yeah, I so thought that our shows super were cool to plus. have that. Yeah, it's really cool to have yeah. you know to have for kids to have that opportunity to see some of these shows. I mean, some of the shows that he books are all kids. I've you know? seen that where you'll see like you'll see a bus for some YouTube star outside of the Laramie. Oh Lounge. yeah, and they'll be waiting for hours and hours and hours and hours out front. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. that's super it's weird. But have, have you seen that, Gordo? Yeah, yeah, well, I was actually hanging out with you guys there. I think one of the last times I was there was a phenomenon like that happened. Where oh, it was just like right, there right, was right. photo ops and weird shit going on inside. We're like, I have no idea. Which is another indication of how crazy the industry has changed. It's like, who is this guy? He's famous from some YouTube. I have no idea. From who some he is. meme, and now he's like this exactly. selling out. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Selling a place out, and, and some and of them are fucking terrible, man. And yes. the kids oh are God. screaming. The kids yes. are screaming. I'm like, what? This is like someone singing along to karaoke it's in their crazy. mom's basement, it's and cra- there are sensation. TikTok? Do you know what TikTok oh, yeah. is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, there are people who are getting TikTok famous. So TikTok is, I guess the best way to describe it is is they're kind of like Vine videos. They're very similar to Vine videos. Yeah, it's almost like a, a like a long form Vine. Yeah, they're like they're like long <laughs> yeah. form Vine mixed with like Instagram stories, something like that, right? Like they're real like they're real like quick videos that people can make, but you kind of like follow a person's entire TikTok story or whatever it is. Yeah, but I the, totally the, sound like an old grandpa. Like but, but, these kids <laughs> with their cameras. They got these things. It's called like email. Not you know it's called, called, what that stands for. It's called Hickory Dickory Dock or something <laughs> like that. And you know what they say? It's all in their phone. It's all in the <laughs> telephone. I remember when the only thing you could do with the telephone is call Fred down at the mill and tell him you weren't going to be able to make it in because the kids had rickets again. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like uh, we've so we used to uh, when Tony lived here and we rehearsed every week. Now we're doing everything correspondence wise, so we just meet up over Skype here and and send stuff back and forth. But when he was living here and we would rehearse every week, we would do the podcast and then go over to Larimer Lounge to have a drink with Mikey uh, Mulligan before we'd go to rehearsal and. During the time between us starting rehearsal and and hanging out with Mikey, we would see very often the different type of like bands that just make you feel a hundred years old. Oh God! You know what I mean? Yeah, they're they're t- they're tiny people. Yeah. Oh yeah, sixteen sixteen year old like girls and boys just screaming around well, someone's I, bus like the fucking Beatles. I remember a couple times like I was like 
is there a private event going on? Can I even go in there? Because it was like, it was packed out and oh, like yeah. people were like, it was just completely elbows and assholes all the way through. And like, I, I had to text like one of you guys like, can I get in there? Or is this like an exclusive event? You know, right, or like right, what the right. hell is going on here? You know, that brings up an interesting question, actually. So, so Karen, you were part of an era of the underground rock scene. And like we mentioned, like a lot, a lot of, a lot of bands like Queens of the Stone Age is, is the, the probably the most surprising example of bands that like were on the regular underground touring circuit and playing places like 15th Street Tavern. Or, or Mastodon. Or Mastodon too, is, yeah. a, is a huge example. And, and then went on to incredible success. High on Fire and High Mastodon on. both. They both won Grammys this year. Yeah, I know. That's insane. And they used Yay to... Yay for my friends. That's so great. That's amazing. And like, they, these are bands that probably had Phil the Fan doing lights for them. Oh my God, absolutely. Phil the Fan. Phil the Fan. Oh. Do you know who Phil the Fan was, Gordo? Uh, yeah, yeah. You've I've, heard the lore I've heard, about I've Phil heard, the Fan? I've heard several stories. Yeah. The Phil, Phil the Fan and the Fire Hazard. Do you know, <laughs> Phil, you know Phil the Fan was the first person like the first adult i met in the punk rock scene i was on the number 76 bus coming up wadsworth leaving the suburbs heading downtown to go hang around skyline and all the like punk rock kids little tiny you know 14 15 year old poser on the bus with my friends and i was wearing my vandals um my vandals shirt uh like I've got it was like peace through vandalism or something like that but I'm wearing this like vandals t-shirt and I'm on the bus and Phil the fan sat down right next to me and just started talking to me about the vandals and was like oh yeah you know I I, I went to their show at the slaughterhouse when they played here and he, oh that sounds like a lot of S's for a lot of flying slobber <laughs> oh so, yeah. yeah he had a ton <laughs> of flying slobber so like for people who don't know Phil the fan was a rock and roll fan and also a mentally ill person. I think he was very high on the spectrum. He was and very high on the spectrum. Yeah. So he he, he had you know, uh, he I mean he was probably even extremely like had an extreme case of Asperger's for sure. Like it, it would be easy it would be easy to say that. But it's, he was this really lovable, really sweet guy who like loved rock and roll, especially like punk rock and local stuff and he local stuff. He, yeah, he was a super fan for local stuff and just had an amazing collection. Yeah, and and just loved all the bands and he was, and he had built this apparatus which I think is still in storage at Three Kings, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, for real, dude? Because the year he that died, belongs in a museum. It, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> the year the year that he died, I think I was working at Three Kings, and. There was a lot of Phil the Fan stuff that got done around that time. And I want to say Phil's sister donated the lighting rig to Three Kings. And they had it set up downstairs and you could like play with it. But what Phil had is he had several stands that were hooked up to several lamps that were definitely fire hazards. Hooked up to multiple power strips. And and switches. Yeah, all kinds of rigged switches. And he would stand on the side of the stage at 15th Street Tavern and do light shows, especially for the local bands. Did they ever let him do any of the, the bigger shows? Uh, yeah, I think I think they did. I uh, was never super stoked, but I would ask the bands if they were cool with it. And, <laughs> and a lot of them were. I mean, there were times when we would play that, you know, I'd be like, you can't 
you can't flick the switches like that crazy dude. You got to like tone it down or we're going to like have seizures up here. Uh, which he didn't, he didn't ever take well to constructive criticism no, or direction. Never, but he never uh, wanted direction. He'd, he'd get all, he'd get all mad at you for like a few days. Um, for like a few days he would storm <laughs> off. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think he probably did a handful of things just because at the time there was nobody right. managing that would, you know, be like, Hey, this probably isn't the most professional thing to do for this band as they're coming through the town, right. but it was Phil, you know, you didn't want to upset him. Right, right, you right. Know? So he would show up and he'd be like, listen, I've got to ask, this is my <laughs> friend, Phil. Um, well, it, and I kind of got off on a tangent on that, but what I wanted to ask you about is what do you think has been the biggest change in at least the independent side of the live music industry? Like the the, the, the world of like the small club and like rock and roll bands, it, it, like like extreme rock bands or heavy rock bands or, or independent kind of under rock uh, uh, underground rock bands like that we were seeing at 15th Street Tavern. What do you think has been the biggest change since your early days of your career to now? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if this is totally accurate if you were to ask someone who might actually know, but from my observations it looks like to me that the industry is so much more saturated with right. with tons and tons and tons of bands. I think that um, the digital streaming age has changed things in a way um, that people can become popular without touring. Right. And then as um, opposite to that, for a lot of bigger bands, it's screwed over their income so much that they have to continue touring right. uh, to make an income. So you see all these old guys, you know, Anthrax is still constantly on the road when, you know, they were on hiatus I never, for a while. I and, never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, tons of bands, you know, that are right. that are getting older are still just hitting it hard. Uh, Nashville Pussy included. I mean, and the margins are really getting stopped. thinner, too. And yeah, for sure. You know, and um, but when it comes to bands that people may not have heard, you know, that's a really good resource to be heard. Like, you know, being so vehemently against Spotify and having to sign up for it for my school of rock work. I've realized why everybody loves that platform. Right. And, you know, and I've gotten turned on to a ton of stuff I wouldn't have heard otherwise. In fact, one band that's playing tonight at the Larimer Lounge called White Reaper. I've heard of White Reaper, yeah. they kick ass, and I'm super stoked for the show. I've discovered a ton of great music on Spotify, and I feel like it's one of those things, it's like, it's it's a necessary evil, and I've I've met bands, you know, at our level, who are like, oh, we refuse to put our stuff on Spotify. And I'm going, well... It's an admirable, you know, it's a it's a noble reason, but you're only hurting yourself. It's a little, well, and that's where it's kind of a catch-22 is it's as much as you want to not buy into the thievery that that company is. Right, and it you is. You know, it's, you still stand to, you know, you can essentially be shooting yourself in the foot if you're not available there. Yeah, you might, you might so. get put on that playlist. Uh, this <laughs> this podcast... Um, as far as features that Spotify creates, I think they have the most user-friendly share options for your your content. And they pay uh, very little. Yeah, uh, they pay they pay <laughs> two, nothing. Two ten thousandths of one cent they, per play. They, yeah, they, they pay, pay nothing. Very, very, very. They pay little. nothing. But 
you can put your stuff on Spotify and have it accessible to everyone in the world and you can share a song or you can share an episode of the podcast up onto Instagram stories and it's the only podcast platform that like into like smaller bands you can tap right through to tap right through to the link you know what I mean like you have to Instagram does this ridiculous thing where you have to have a certain amount of followers before you can even put a link in like Instagram stories or anything like that. Hmm. And uh, Spotify is one of the few platforms where you can share something on and that is not the case. Like you can tap through to their their platform. Like you said, I've I've discovered a ton of great bands on there. I need there. a kid to show me all this new technology. Oh, yeah, it's it's pretty <laughs> cool for you, for independent bands you can put your music on the stories function, right. which is which is pr- great. Oh, you know, like well, that's, that's good to know. That's super cool. You can add it you can add that. a little blurb of your song with whatever image right. you're doing there. It's kind of yeah. cool. And um and you know, there 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 are th- it is the primary way that I consume music. It's the devil. But <laughs> but here's here's the other thing that I kind of and we look like at. him too though you know we He's do like the devil sides. too it's like ah oh, you that's the, that's the deal you tricky motherfucker ah oh, all right come on that's, Satan that's Ooh, how he done got pants <laughs> that's how he done get you <laughs> like I so there are a few bands that are that are that do this now I think um, Run the Jewels definitely has this model. And, uh, and and there's a bunch of other bands that are starting to adopt it where it's more like you just acknowledge the fact that you're not going to get any money for your actual recorded music. So you just give the recorded music hey, away. Hey, someone bought the new Egoista live tracks today off Bandcamp for $5. Bandcamp or seems... Or $7. Bandcamp so seems to be an exception. Like, They've got the right and it's idea volu- It's voluntary, you know? Yeah. And it's like an old CUDA fan that, you know... It's like pay what like, you want, right? Yeah, is, is I think it was like it five euros or something, so it was like seven bucks for us. It's like, oh. See, that's really cool. That's really sweet. Yeah, is it for us on Bandcamp? We're not. We, I'm, we're, Granny Tweet isn't either. We're not. I've just never done it because we had our own website. Right, And right, our yeah, website... On our website, we have a Banzoogle website, and on that, we are able to sell our music. We're able to, you know, I link it to like a big cartel shop where we sell our merch. We're able to put any and all of our content on there. Like this podcast is on there, and uh, you can get links to like the motion comic and stuff like that. So we've just never had the need for it. Um, Banzoogle tends to model a lot of other platforms stuff. They take the good ideas of other platforms and then run them through beta testing. Uh, like they just launched a subscription um, beta test where uh, they're trying to create an alternative to like Patreon where you can actually create subscriber only content on your page. That's pretty cool. I don't think we'll do it just because we've already got people used to Patreon and that was kind of a that was kind of a a big ask in the beginning, you know, when people Well, they've got Patreon has the the name recognition too, you know. Right, and people are more trusting of of like the no brand known brand and things like that. So I don't know. It's like it's it's yes, like Spotify is is ridiculous in in how much money they take from people but it's also like you talked about discovering music the you know like you're i've discovered a lot of bands that i really really love through using that platform me too and it is the way that at least 150 people a month listen to my band 
You know what I mean? And if I didn't have that, there are people who would be excluded from it. So I've just, you know, you got to hedge your bets and, and play the fucking game, unfortunately. But uh, like a big thing that I noticed, back to what we were talking about, a big thing that I noticed over, at least in the time that, that I've been doing this, is how many bands that I just consider at this higher level are playing smaller clubs. And largely in part, I'm assuming from the fact that uh, the market is so oversaturated, as as you've put it. Um, do you think that do you think that is like shrinking the margins to like an unlivable level for for bands that maybe used to be able to let make a little bit more money playing bigger clubs? Or well, do you I think, think it's I think it depends on. Um on the band and the situation. Like I've seen a lot of bands that are huge, that are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger now come through like Globe Hall and Larimer Lounge um, as kind of um, a courting of sorts. Like they're not quite big enough for the Bluebird or the Ogden. So they come through there, they sell it out in a heartbeat, looks right. good for them on Polestar, courts them with the booking agents for AEG. Then they come to the bigger venue the next time. Ah, like, the, the Polestar numbers. And, and yeah, and, and, you know, for instance, I mean, what was her name? Uh, Mandy Rogers. Was that her name? Mindy Molly. Ro I can't, fuck, I can't remember. Anyway, so I work at Mission Ballroom, too. Right. And sold out show, 4,000 capacity. And this chick's, you know, this artist is on stage talking about um, – how she, the last, like the time before last she was here, she was at the Larimer Lounge and how, you know, trying to convey her message with this kind of lowbrow, you know, sound production and being really intimate with the crowd. And um, she was really charismatic. It was like super pop. It wasn't totally my thing, but um, but she was, she just had this candor on stage that was really kind of um, heartwarming. That's really cool. Um, but it was cool to, to hear that she'd said that. So I think in a lot of ways... Like she you know, gave acknowledgement a, to the to yeah what she had to do to get to where she was. And, totally. And but I think in a lot of ways it's a good leg up for bands, you know? I mean, we still, like at Globe Hall, we'll have like Big Head Todd in there or something. So for... For you know now in the day in the age of festivals when everything's a fucking festival and if you want to go to the show and see these bands you're there with a hundred thousand other people watching right. them from you know seven hundred yards away and it's like I'd rather just listen to the album right so I think it gives the audience a more um, intimate experience right. you know to be closer for those of us who aren't totally spoiled and get to watch every show from the side of the stage you right, know right, <laughs> anyway right, right. but. Um, and then, too, you know, I think what I've seen is that there's a lot more independent bands, I even in Denver, that are much more professionally minded. I mean, for forever, it was like you guys, uh, Hemikuda, Pinhead Circus, The Gamuts, and, I, you know, probably like the predominant four bands I can think of out of Denver the that even that did were any like touring. really, really working and touring. Yeah, that even did any yeah. of that stuff, you know? And so I think now... I'm very flattered you'd include me in that list. I well, hope that isn't Well, and you guys did. And now, you. you know, now everybody seems to have a much greater understanding of that and, and you know, desire to get out. I mean, it's fun and, right. and to do that stuff. So, um, and then when you can promote yourselves 
digitally, I mean, you have the capability to get yourself out there to all these places that you're going to go see and potentially have a good show where, I mean, remember before there was even MySpace and we were like actually right. making like phone calls right. to try to book shows and sending out promo packs. And, I feel you know, like I feel that like that might terrible. have convincing somebody like to like you. better, though. I think it might have had far better efficacy simply because of the fact that you had to send your stuff in the mail to someone, send them an email, make a phone call, have that interaction, and now it's like all these technologies that I secretly prayed for. You know, God, if only I had some way that anyone in the world could listen to my music, or God, only if I had some platform where I could put up videos, or I could do a video blog, or or it, you know, God, if only I could create my own radio show where people could listen to us. There's all this stuff now, yeah. but everybody has access to it. So it's much more competitive. It's, yeah. and it's then so the much more competitive. Promoters are, are inundated, you know? Right. Yeah. They really have you. to have something that Audiences stands out. are inundated. Yeah. Audiences, it's so hard to... Like, okay, you got to do Facebook ads, but they are very close to being a waste of time and money. They are for they, me, for sure. They, they're, they're like, <laughs> and I've I actually got on the phone with the marketing person from Larimer, um, and she was kind of walking me through it. And I'm like, listen, I've put a lot of money into ads. I'm not seeing a ton of of return. I'm not seeing a ton of conversion. What do you guys do? And I had her walk me through it, and like, even went to this new approach of 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 marketing, the the way that they handle it. And I didn't see much improvement there either. And I think a big part of it is, well, it's two things. One, and I can take ownership of this, is, you know, no one is a prophet in their homeland. And we play a ton here and people are used to us being here. We live here, you know. Same. Yeah. Same here. So that's a big part. No one's excited. Yeah. No no one's excited. Right. (laughs) You got it. You got a tour for that reason. But then the other thing is, is it's like how much just flies by in your feed and you and you don't retain at all like oh exactly yeah do you remember every ad you saw today fuck no do you remember every meme you saw today do you remember every bit of news yeah but i've been that, spending a lot less time on that shit any in general yeah well, that I mean, and I mean, then the the algorithms that point you in a, in a certain direction so you don't even see a lot of the stuff that would oh yeah normally end up in your feed and i think one thing oh, for yeah. larimer that um i've noticed surprisingly has been Maybe it's effective, maybe it's not, but to me it seems like it would be to some degree. You know their basic flyers, just their basic oh, ass. Yeah. It's just text, and it just says blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Has the banner at the top says Larimer Lounge. Says this. I mean, been doing that since the time of the tavern stuff. But Scott's been doing that since day one of Larimer Lounge. And it so works. now it's super simple. You don't have to hire any graphics person for that. While well, they still do nice posters and nice graphics for stuff too, but. Those are so effective because you see those hanging on the poles with their, you know, street teams that still plastic. You see them out in reality, and you don't even have to look at what venue it is. You know, you know where it is. Right. You know, it's it's become a recognizable. It's become part of their brand. Right. And and that's and that's something that's really cool. And um, man, it's we used to do posters a lot more, and I feel like a lot of the poster spots have shut down. 
Like a lot of places don't want you putting up physical posters yeah, anymore. I still, I still run stuff to the record stores and right. places in town, but like, I, I don't know, man. Like, there's those big guys have taken up a lot of real estate. Well, and know. that's the thing, and they is have there's exclusive arrangements with a lot of businesses. There's one that I am aware of. There's one gal that leads the street team that does AEG. She does Anchors Away, so Oriental oh, Streets. Yeah. She does Larimer Lost Lake Globe. Um, I mean, she does. You know, she all, works she her does, ass off too. She does, yeah. She does a ton of that stuff, and she knows all the spots. But you go in exactly like you said, and like their entire wall is right. plastered with all this stuff. That's uh, Amanda Menard, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's good at what she does. Um, um, I actually years ago when I was at the Rockaway, you actually have to be out and about to see those. You I know, know for I the know. for old people like us, you know, we see that shit online. You have that's, to do. That's, that's exactly the thing, what I though. think every time I I put up a poster. I'm like. I don't, you know, I just don't get out to a lot of shows anymore. And so it's like, I don't know if people are actually seeing me. That's who, who the thing. You things? have to know. put it everywhere. Yeah, you have to yeah. put it online and you have to put it out in the physical, tangible world. There's some marketing thing. And, and this number has probably changed, but it's like something like a person has to see something a certain number of times before it will compel them to action. But that's that's exactly that's exactly why I put posters out you've got to like, do it because like josh will have a good graphic you know right. we'll put the name out there and people will see the name repeatedly they may not come to that right. show or that show or that show but they'll see the name and they'll make the association and then eventually maybe they'll take some action well I think too that scott <laughs> you know? that 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 josh's style of art is becoming a brand and it's oh of its absolutely own too because oh, he does yeah. so many you know, like he did the Bracheros. He does so much thing. stuff. And we asked him to do some stuff for Egoista. That's you yeah, can you can you tell can, it's one of his. Well, and like when Sam Turner used to do all that stuff, right? You know, and now he's kind of a little more off the radar uh, locally. But um, that's you know, good when you though. Can recognize all you're yeah. like, oh, that's a Sam poster, and you kind of think in your head like, oh, well, if he's working with them, they must be pretty good, you know? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing is Sam. Sam is very protective of his of his brand. Which I think is really smart on his part. He's only going to do stuff that his art a- accurately serves. You know what I mean? Like for him to do stuff for Speedwolf or in the company of Serpents or, or whoever or whoever. He did. Sam- he did the the iconic Kimmy Cuda girl. Oh, di- he that, did that, do the iconic Kimmy yeah. Cuda girl. That's right. This, this one and the and the uh, it's like the. For those of you who can't see this, it's like the Motorhead War Pig with a pretty girl instead of the yeah, ugly, yeah. Instead of the ugly monster, and it's Lemmy approved. Um, it is Lemmy approved. It is Lemmy approved. He loved nice. it. Um, but um, you know, he did that. He just like came up with that for us, like the whole Motorhead rip off Hemikuta Denver right. thing with that, and we were like, "Well, fuck, this is awesome." Right. He knows he knows where his stuff belongs. So he did all he the Hemikuta like drawn artwork. I tried to hire him, but we're. We're not right for Sam Turner, you know. We're just not, and I and I recognize that, and I acknowledge it, and I understand it. But hey, you got to try, you know what I mean? But it, yeah, like he has his art is very recognizable and is and is its own brand, and Josh Finley's art is his own brand. And a lot of times, what I try to think of when I'm doing the poster is really the main purpose isn't necessarily to get people to the show, but it's to increase. It's to increase the awareness of the band as a brand around the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that people, it becomes part of the unconscious 
and when they see something for your show on their feeds, they go, oh, I remember hearing about this band or I've talked to so-and-so about this band. They, there's more uh, access channels for them. It's kind of why I was thinking with uh, with the Egoista logo that we did kind of out of the gate. Which looks great, by the way. It looks really hey. cool. I saw it today. Um, that was kind of what I had in mind was just something that popped Right. Really strong that just becomes recognizable kind of out of the gate. I mean, it's a ripoff of Bowie, obviously. Right, but it's but awesome. But when Ruben and I were in Peru, I had this idea. One of his friends is a graphic designer that now lives in Oakland, and I was like, I have this idea. And him and I talked about it, and Ruben had no idea, and, you know, we made it happen when I got back, and I sent it to those guys, and they were like, fuck, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, you got to have that. We started so. doing We started doing the... Um, the emblem a few years ago. We started doing the MF emblem a few years ago, and I have found that that ha was a good move. When you think about like Van Halen or someone yeah. that's like, you just have this. They have like a corporate logo. Yeah. You know, just, I, I hate to put it that way, but they have like a corporate logo. But but there's a reason that corporations have logos like that because right. they they're stick in your effective. Brain. Yep, they stick in your brain. And, and human beings respond to symbols. You know, it, much more than we expose, it, it, uh, respond to just simple text and language. I think I didn't initially realize how effective that Egoista logo would be, like how recognizable. It was just an idea like, oh, this would look cool. Right. And then now it's like it just fucking zings off the page. Do you guys like have do you have any, you, anything recorded besides the live stuff? No, we don't yet. In fact... Um, we booked our first show, which is coming up on October 13th. Cool. At the Gothic Theater with Strung Out and the Casualties. That's your first show? Well, yeah. Shit. Who do you think you're talking to? To Mr. be Karen Kuda. <laughs> oh, man. See, and so again, <laughs> listeners, again, loyal listeners, this is relationships we're talking about here. Build those relationships, man. Make friends with people. It's top priority. We talk about this like on, on multiple episodes. Because invariably, anytime someone tells me a story about their career, it's like, oh, and I knew so-and-so from such-and-such, and we became friends it's because we so, hung out. Yeah, it's and it, so it's, much it's a part so of it. so important. And just you, having charisma socially and that kind of stuff. I mean, professionalism for sure and being you know right. easy and fun and dependable to work with. But, you know, it's 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 definitely about maintaining that stuff. You know, there's so many amazing musicians all over the place that, you know, may sit in their mom's basement and are just socially, you know, incapable. And it's like, right. you know, they're going to sit in their mom's basement forever. Right. You, know, you got to get out and talk to people. You got to make friends. And, and you never know who's going to be who, you know, in their life. That there are people that that I have met over the years and just watched what they've become, and it's like, wow, you never saw that coming. You know, someone like someone like Scott Campbell, you know, who was was booking great bands at the Fifteenth Street Tavern back in the day, and now he's like, he's fucking killing it, dude. He's the biggest dick in town, man. He's like doing he's doing great work, or, or someone like Peter Orr, you know, who's doing great work booking shows or. You know, I'm sure when Hemi Kuda was playing their first shows, people couldn't really think of who you were going to be eventually. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't think of that, you know. And, of course, right. joining Nashville Pussy totally changed my life. Like, yeah. And as much as it's still the same and, and similar with what I do, I mean, it, it just offered me this whole new wealth of oh yeah of everything. And, um, 
yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I, you know, I see that a lot with like my school of rock kids. There's, or, you know, girls rock or some of the other kids. This is another thing that I wanted to ask you about. Let's talk about yeah. that. Let's but talk I see, about I'm, I the work, work with you some, do. some kids that you can just tell have this magnetic personality that are going to just be big, right? whether they're magnetic or they're just good at, I don't know, so, just putting it out there. Right. There's just something about them that's different that, you know, is going to be. Right. Big in some capacity, whether it's them sticking with music or doing something else. Or something lives. else. They're just going to you be know? successful. And there's some kids that do. just kind of, you know, are kind of wallflowers and just kind of right. fall by the wayside. I think that's just personality of people. But And that doesn't mean that know. they won't find something that they're really, really brilliant at. Oh, absolutely. But, but it's in the entertainment business, not even just the music industry, but in the entertainment industry, which is what I would say we're more part of, you know, we're not sitting in studios making records and turning them out and never like, like Harry Nelson, you know, never playing shows or anything like that. Like playing shows and performing for people and being in social environments is such a huge part of He did have that really do. good monkey video though. That was great. The monkey video. Oh, the, yeah. the lime and the, the coconut, coconut video. monkey video. Have you ever seen that? That's yeah. great. Yeah, that is good. It's good. I just wanted to plug that. <laughs> Thank you, Gordo. I appreciate <laughs> it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so much of your success or failure in the entertainment world is dependent on being able to go out and hang out with people and mix it up and form those relationships and and be fun to be around and be fun to play with and be the person that like, you know, hey, you're reliable and you're not a creep. Why don't you come hang out at the studio and try out on this new thing that we're doing. You know, I think you might be a good fit for it. Well, and even like my friend Eric McFadden that I play with, he's an LA-based guitar player who's just fucking off the charts, insanely amazing. You know, he plays with every famous person under the sun. Like he used to play in Parliament. He plays with Eric Burden from The Animals. Wow. He plays, I mean, and then he does a residency in L.A. where he's got Stephen Perkins and Doug Wimbish and Les Claypool and Jesse Hughes. And I mean, he's just got, I mean, this dude is just, you know, embedded in every name possible, you know, sitting around the TV. And I'm like, he's on one of the late night shows. Right. And he's been asking me to, you know, I've sat in with him and played some stuff um, way back in the day. And he's been asking me for 10 years now to play with him. So I accompany him a lot when he's coming through town or nearby New Mexico, Utah, places like that. But that's I think that's a huge part of his program is it's not only is he an incredible fucking player, but he's just the coolest dude, man. He's just, right. he's so chill. He's so cool. Everybody loves him. Everybody wants to work with him. Everybody, you know, and that's just such a huge part. Well, and it sounds it, you know? like he gets a kick out of playing with other people. Oh, he absolutely does. Like, like it's like, it's like, hey, man, I, I've really wanted to do something with you for a while. Let's just, let's just get together and do something. Oh, that's so, that's so Eric in a nutshell. We, and that's he's great, like, man. you know, it's like Eric and whoever the rotating person of that city or we might be so do you him. do you travel it like are are you going to be traveling and like gigging with him or are you just gonna i have be before sending stuff? i yeah. don't um i don't super often but in the past i've done stuff with him you know kind of regionally la um utah new mexico you haven't gotten too far out of that yet but that's awesome he's got people everywhere yeah know? That's why he's just, he's got his people all over the place. Yeah. That's so great. So yeah. you you mentioned Girls Rock and School of Rock. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
I didn't know you were involved with School of Rock. And then one day I was working one of the School of Rock shows at Three Kings. I was working the day shift for one of those. And you oh, just yeah. happened to show up and said that you were like volunteering as an instructor over there. What's, mm-hmm. what's all that about? Uh, well, I don't volunteer at School of Rock. Like you um, actually, you actually like are a salaried like instructor over there, or uh, I kind of well, I've been with them for almost I don't know around ten years now, right. um, and I kind of come and go. So most of the seasons, there'll be a, pr- a show that the kids rehearse for that usually lasts about three or four months. Rehearsals right. last three or four months, and then they put on the show. So I will usually come around for one or two seasons at a time and bow out and go do some other stuff and kind of come and go. Um, And it's really awesome that I have the capability to do that. Right. Um, They've been really great about always just, you know, making me feel like part of the family. And, you know, if I'm like, hey, I'm ready to do something, they'll find something for me to do. Or sometimes they'll reach out to me and be like, hey, we have this show coming up. You know, we really want you to direct this one. Um and it's just, it's a great group of colleagues. It's super rewarding. The kids are fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it's rad. So so what what is what are your responsibilities look like when you're directing something like that? Um, the way I describe it is kind of really like uh, coached band practice. Okay. So they take individual one-on-one lessons. Um, I fill in for instructions, but I don't do that very often. Um, and then they have the performance program that the kids can sign up for. There's multiple themed shows that go on throughout the year. Right. And then kids from all ages and skill levels and genders sign up for these shows and play together collectively as a band, learn a set, and then perform the show at a real venue. Right. So I direct those. I direct the performance program. So basically teaching kids, making sure everyone's playing the right part. Right. Um, making sure they're playing together, making sure they're listening together, making sure they're acting somewhat professional, that they're you imparting know, your imparting your wisdom as a as a longtime professional, yeah, just like telling to, them how to be in a band. Exactly. Trying to, you know, helping them find their confidence on stage, helping them to learn little performance tricks, um, helping them to you know, diagnose a problem with their amp on the fly or why something, why they can't hear something, Um, you know, and there's also a lot of getting the kids to work with one another. Some of them are far more skilled than others and getting them to help one another and, and just making sure everybody has something to do and kind of feels like they're important. Right. Um, You know, learning kids different ways of learning is also really important because everybody kind of learns in a different way being sensitive to those that are shy that don't like to be called out in front of a group right right being sensitive to those you know who do function better when they're called out in front of a group right you know right right. um but yeah it's it's fucking awesome everybody i work with i mean it's the cool the I, i long story shorter um I know you're familiar with when I had my issue with my neck. Right. And, and I that, that was surgery. something I wanted to ask you about. And I, um, I had to bow out a national pussy for a little while and was like, well, shit, what am I going to do? Like, how else do I utilize this skill set that I've been, you know, working on for 20 fucking years that's right. playing in a band? What do I do with that now? It's very right. specific. And so I thought maybe passing that along to other kids, teaching could be something that I could do. And they... 
you know, I called the director at the time at the Denver school and, you know, he was familiar with National Pussy and he totally just threw me a bone and he's like, let's do a, a week long summer camp, Karen Kuda's punk rock party. You're going to direct it. You pick the songs, you direct it. That's so cool. And so I did a few of those and, um, and then started working on some of the longer productions and just got a little more embedded. Now I'm predominantly at the, at the Littleton school, but have just met so many wonderful and talented, cool people through there. And then there's kids that I worked with when they were like eight years old that are now, you know, 17, almost and ready to age like out of the program that are that are still part of School Rock. There's, so cool. there's one kid that um, I was instructing, actually a couple that I was instructing back when they were younger that now are instructors at That's School so of Rock. Cool. And it's such a cool organization that once people sign up for it, I mean, they most of the kids stick around for a real long time. Um so yeah, it's just great. I wish there was something like that when I was a kid. I would have gotten I know, in a lot same. less trouble. I would have been so much more right? productive. I like mean, if I, I man, I I loved I loved I wanted to be in a band so bad in one way or another, you know. I got I got hooked on it at a very young age. And if there had just been more constructive, safer, uh, drug-free, drug and alcohol-free environments where I could have gone and participated in something like that. Oh, totally. I think it would have benefited greatly because I think I think so much of my like substance issues came from equating that lifestyle with what it required to stick around and and hang out or like and be an, or like your identity in a way so much you know? of your identity I mean, yeah you know for me being at the suburban high school you know being the the kid with bondage pants and blue hair and being made fun of constantly even by the teachers right i never really felt like i had a place to fit in and when i was in high school my family was always musical my brother especially since way before i was born he's a professional musician you know, i look up to him immensely but, um, you know, so it was always kind of part of my life. But I, at the time, I didn't really know that's what I wanted to do, you right. know. And and um, it's just something that was always around. It was always around. And I was always interested in it. And I would go to shows when I can. And I was so into listening to music and, you know, identifying through punk rock and all that kind of stuff. Though my tastes were all over the map. Um, if I had a place that wasn't sports, you know, to right. to something to be involved in and to put my efforts towards I would have hung out with better people and like you know gotten right. it, not gotten in as much trouble and well so and many so stuff. many of the people that I met and I met I've met some amazing people over the years I met you I met Gordo you know most all my bandmates you know I met through touring and playing shows and stuff like that so you know they were in the same environment as me but you're also when you're that young and you're going and you're playing bars or even like underground venues, you are mixing it up with malevolent spirits from time to time. And you're mixing it up with some people, like there's there's chicken hawks in some of those bars and there's like dangerous, addicted, um, unstable people in some of those bars. And if, when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, even younger, if my parents were like, hey, we're going to take you to learn to play in a rock and roll band today, I would have been like, this is all I want to do all the time. Can I stop going to regular school and just do this? And then when you go to those bars and you play those shows and you run into those same people you just mentioned, you're in a much more protected environment. Right. You know, and you know, and maybe that is a good, I mean, those people are everywhere in our lives and maybe that's a good 
Maybe that's a good no intro for kids. I don't know to kind of learn how to navigate people like that. I, I mean, yeah, and I think so. I think for th- sure. I think that that's yeah. a thing that that can be taught in places like School of Rock, Girls Rock. Is like, hey, when you start playing clubs, you need to be aware of your environment. You need to watch out for people. You know, affiliate with people who want the best for you. You know, be around people who who want to see you succeed and want to see you do well, not someone who wants to see you go down the same dark path that they did. And had I learned that stuff before my turn 40, <laughs> I probably right. also would have been a lot better off. Like, I'm still learning that stuff, you right. know, and seeing some of the kids that I work with or, um, you know, like Ruben's daughter, who's super cool, yeah. or my niece. Yeah, Ruben's or, daughter's really cool. And I worked with her at School of Rock, and she was my ringer. Dude, she kicked ass. Um, but, you know, seeing some of these kids, like us teaching them these things at the age they are now, you know, or seeing them learn these things, like what a leg up. And you, you can know? save them a lot of trouble. Ugh. And, and th- like, they're going to go in there with a different set of priorities. You know what I mean? They're like so much, so much of where I think I went astray was in an effort to be accepted and to be liked. Oh, God, totally. You know what I mean? And if you are in an environment like that where you're already accepted and you're already um, you're, you're, you're like you're already included and you're already fine how you are and you're able to just focus on like, hey, let's get together and let's see how far we can take our songwriting ability or let's see how far we can take our performance ability or let's like let's prepare ourselves for the thing that really matters, which is having fun with your friends and playing shows for crowds and creating art together. Well, and especially I think for girls and women, it's just a constant struggle to balance identity and what people think of our appearance or whatever with your own inner confidence and capabilities. It's, you know, it's, it's constant. I'm sure you dealt with that a lot being the the female bass player because that's kind of a that's kind of an archetype the you know what, it's it's funny that you say that because for the longest time I mean you know being a female bass player I don't know any different you know right. I mean I don't know what it's like to have a dick and be a bass player right so so for me, it was, it was, was nothing different. Bass. And, you know, and I managed to do a bunch of fun stuff with self-service on a socket and um, uh, my friend Mary Beth Abella. And then when I joined Hemi Kuda and we never had that always seemed to be a benefit right. for us as far as marketing and that kind of thing. And it wasn't until after I quit Nashville Pussy when I started putting feelers out there for some of like the anonymous casting calls where they don't tell you who it is. It's like A-list artist is looking for such and such and such and such. And I started applying for some of these that they'd be like, oh, they would totally want you if you were male. What? Where where it actually started, the gender thing really started becoming apparently hindering than than it was before. Really? And I know sometimes it works to your benefit, sometimes it doesn't. There was this. Uh, well, they were they were also like in in those levels of the industry, the anonymous casting calls. They'll tell you right out why they're like you're too short, you're too tall, you're not the right look. You're not, like they'll tell you flat out. And they were the yeah. they, they were the the people who were going to tell you flat out. It's like if you were a man, you would definitely. And people have this would game. be like, oh, your you know your resume looks great, but uh, you know the artist wants a male. And a lot of times that's female artists. Like I've been barking up Joan Jett's tree. I've been barking up Juliette Lewis's tree for a while. Like they're like, hey, you guys should, you know, 
hire me. And those women don't like to work with other women in their band. Um, While some of it I feel is definitely the stereotype of drama that women can bring. Like I know Marco and Rim are like, whatever, you're too sensitive. And it's like, fuck you motherfuckers. Like, (laughs) you know, uh, I have feelings and I care about shit and I'm going to tell you. Right, right. Deal with it. Right. Be a man. Yeah, and, and, maybe uh, you're too sensitive to me fucking responding. Hey, to there it. you go. But I'll hey, man. take there that, fuckers. There it is. Um, no, I get that. You have, know, but I, at the same time, I get it because working with other women has been more challenging than working with other men. There's like this inherent competitive thing I always had with Annika, I always had with Ryder. Ryan. And, you know, I'm, I tend to be relatively passive when I need to be. And I kind of, I can, I'm intuitive to what other people need and I kind of give them that and I'll take a step back if that's what needs to happen or whatever. And, and, um, how much, yeah, of, it's how been, much it's been of conflictual. That, how much of that do you think is, comes from the, 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 the social construct and how much of that do you think comes from real deal biology, just from your experience of like working with other women in bands? Like, do you think that, do you think that that, that competition comes up like from some kind of biological place or do you think it's just like like societal injunctions like from your experience i mean you i mean you, maybe you can't, a little of of both and that biologically we're inclined to have those socially f- encouraged hang-ups you know but i ultimately i you know i think it all comes from our own insecurities and just feeling competitive with people we don't need to be competitive with. Right, right. You know, and kind of overcompensating that stuff. And while many would never admit that, I'm extremely aware that that's, you know, where it comes from, myself included. Like, you well, know, I think we all have... Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to admit, like, areas you might be vulnerable, especially when they play into... Uh, an unflattering stereotype or they or they can't... Or I should say they can be used to... Uh, as 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 evidence for an unflattering stereotype you know what i mean like well and some women just don't want to be upstaged or they feel like they're being upstaged by someone who is an equivalent player or is prettier i'm putting that in quotation marks um i eat my own dandruff Um. (laughs) (laughs) the air quotes man (laughs) see and and on the audio version of this they're just going to hear the i eat my own dandruff But, you know, I mean, when you're (laughs) you're like, you know, when you're the star of a show and you're this ripping ass fucking hot guitar player and somebody, you know, joins your band that other people are now focusing their attention on. It's like, wait a minute, this is my fucking band. Right. You know, so some of it, I think, is a little territorial. And I would say I would venture to guess that's probably where like the Joan Jett Juliet kind of stuff comes into play a little bit. Right. Um, You know, because we're all different to work with professionally and I think you really just need to give somebody that opportunity before you can when you do have a hell of a resume I mean you've you've proven yourself I didn't I didn't like you've proven yourself in ways that most male musicians I know have not you know what I mean like you're the real deal man and I didn't you mentioned self-service and so now I'm thinking that probably the first time I really saw you, if you were in self-service for this That gig, was my first band ever. Did you play the show at the Ozitlon? With the with, subhumans? With, yes. Yes. You, <laughs> that was the first time and I saw And we covered you. Walls of Silence that I sang 
And then what's his name? Dickie. Dick, Dick, yeah. He he dedicated, they played Walls of Silence and they dedicated that to us and they were dedicated to us all the I time. I was then. at that show. Yep. And then Donnie did like an endo off the stage and on a big wheel or some shit like that. <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember that, but I was at that show. Did you guys do that um, Blank 77 Anti-Heroes show too? Or was that somebody else? Uh, I, it, I can't remember. It must have been the, the subhumans at the Ozatlon. I was... I remember what I was wearing for that show. I'd made this necklace. I still have it out of rubber flies. So there was like one gi- <laughs> one giant rubber fly in the middle, and then it was just all these little plastic flies, and it was a little fly choker. I totally yeah. I I can't remember a lot of things, but I can remember what I wore for pretty much every show I've I love ever that played back into back like twenty five years ago. Some, I don't know if some autistic thing on my part or some <laughs> Rain Man. There. What were what were you wearing? Yes. <laughs> oh, I know it. I know exactly what that show was. It's like Tony talks about, he's like, I never remember the show, but I always remember the party. It's like Karen never remembers the show, but she does remember the, the outfit. She remembers the wardrobe. <laughs> and some of the party. And some of the party. <laughs> Usually the very beginning of the party, right. I remember a few of the key players who were there. The rest of them are people I've been running into for years and years, and I have to like awkwardly smile and pretend I remember them while I oh try my God, to I remember get that, them. I get that all the time. People are like, Karen, what's now that I work at all the venues, so oh, there's yeah. like... You know, so not only at the at the small venues, but I'm also at Mission, and then during the summer I'm at Levitt Pavilion, and then I'm also with Live Nation. So I work all the Live Nation venues, you know, and I'll have, I'll be with like Justin Timberlake's production assistant, and some guy comes up to me, he's like, Karen Kuda, what's up? And I'm like, mm, what's up? Hey, and he's you? like, last time I saw you was in San Francisco with the Eagles of Death Metal. We were hanging out on their bus. I used to play with them. They, you know, I was like. Oh, yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad you just said that in front of the production assistant. Maybe now she'll take me seriously. Yeah, you know? right. No, totally. Um, yeah, that shit happens to me all the time, and it's often that I just go, uh-huh. Yeah, like, so, smile so much smile comes, and nod right, like a, right, with right. a blank stare. <laughs> the smile and nod. I've had to do that a lot at shows, and, and mostly it's from, like, working in bars, I would say, just like bartending. It's just like this never I get that street. too of like people recognizing me from various places I've worked too. You ever had somebody who doesn't recognize you on the other side of the bar? Like you're their bartender every day and then you run into them on the street and you're like, is this guy pretending not to know me or does he like legitimately not recognize me without a bar in front of me? Right? Well, it's an out of context. You yeah, know? I, I think that that's, there have been so many times where I've gotten offended because someone didn't remember me and like thinking back on it, like after being a, a career bartender for a while, I go, oh, that was it. They just, I was out of context and they had no idea who I was. At least that's yeah. what I tell myself. I remember the first time I saw you outside of Three Kings and I thought you were a completely different fucking person. <laughs> and, and maybe, you it was, the maybe it was the bunny head. And he yeah, scared maybe, the maybe shit out of me because I met this guy, I met this guy just Three days earlier, we had played a show, and this guy was like, he he was uh, somehow, I don't know, like chicken dinner knew him through rafting, but this guy was he was he was a little intense. He was super scary, and you uh, thought I was the scary, and guy? I thought yeah, because like the like <laughs> you, you came out to me at that Faith No More show at Red Rocks. Oh yeah, and, and I was just like, and I was just like, oh my god, like I think it's that guy, you know. <laughs> That, you know, like, I was like, fuck, man, I don't even know how to handle this. You know, like, uh, hi, man, what's going on? You know, and like, you're like, just sitting there. completely freezed him out, just froze him out completely. And you gotta, you gotta like sit there and like 
ask questions that don't lead the other person to know that you don't remember them. You have to keep like the questions super vague, like, so what have you been up to? Like hoping that they'll be like, oh, I'm still working at such and such. Or you or, have somebody yeah. with you and you go, this is my friend so-and-so. So they can go, oh, oh yeah, this is, yeah, that's my old trick. I call it Rick and That's the best one. That's Except the, for that's then the best sometimes trick. the real bad people that you cross paths with, they'll be like, oh, hey, what's up? And they won't introduce themselves back, and then your whole plan failed. Yeah, it failed. Which I mean might just be indicative of somebody that you don't really need to talk to anymore I, anyway. I call it I call it Rickenum. <laughs> I call it Rickenum because the idea is you get like a friend that like Tony was perfect for this because Tony wasn't from here. So most people in the early days when Tony lived in Denver were people I was introducing him to. So the joke was like, it's like, hey, I don't remember this guy's name. I need you to introduce yourself so that that he introduces himself first. And you go, oh, this is Tony. And the guy goes, and he goes, hi, I'm Tony. And the guy goes, hey, I'm Rick. And you go, oh, yeah, Rick. Me and Rick, we go way back. Rick, Ricky, Rick, 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 Rick. And you start like overcompensating by saying their name too much. Like I had a guy. I had a guy come up to me at the Judah show when we were outside. Fuck, and, I wish I would have seen that. Dude, it was so good. Oh, that show. I love those guys. That show was depressing, though. It was depressing because they were so amazing. Like, I watched that band play and I was like, I quit. This band is so fucking. I've heard they're amazing. They were on tour with National Pussy for a while and in Europe, and then with my friends Dinko Jones for a while. Oh yeah. And I've just you know, and then Reed kind of turned me onto their music. Yeah, they're so and good. it's so fucking good. It's like Cheap Trick meets like Slade meets like Thin Lizzy, so or it's so fucking good. Uh, a lot of uh, Bay City Rollers in there. Yeah, you know, like I, a, the real anthemic. Like every song is four on the floor anthem. You know. Yeah, and I haven't, Amazing. and I still haven't gotten to see them live. They were at Larimer one weekend when I was working there, but I was in New York seeing Quicksand when they first started coming back around. Oh, cool. And then, uh, and then this last one, I was somewhere doing something at some other something or another. But yeah, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, no, they they were incredible and super nice guys and just just a real sweet band. But um, yeah, uh, after seeing them play, I was just like, womp, womp. but there was uh, there was this guy outside who came up to me and he's like, Aaron, what's going on? It's good to see you. And I couldn't remember him, so I was like, Oh my god, dude, it's so good to see you too. How have you been? Hoping that he would be like, oh, I've just been up to this or, you know, I'm still hanging out with so-and-so or I'm still working at this place. But the only thing he would say in response to any of the questions that I asked was, you know, just being a dude. Just being a dude. I'd be like, what you been up to? Just being a dude, man. How about you? And I'd go, oh, I'm doing this and this and this and this. Hoping that he would give a little bit more information. He's like, that's great, man. I'm like, what are you up to? What you been doing? What's new? Just being a dude. Well, see, this what is- What brings is... you up here uh, <laughs> today, tonight? I, I came to see you guys. Oh, it's been so long. Yep, it's been a long time. The guy left. I gave him a hug. I still H- this hence, day. hence not remembering him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I did learn this trick, though. Well, it's not really a trick. It's just the polite way to handle it. It's just saying, "Help me with your name." Help me with your name. It sounds a lot softer than just going, "Who are you? What's your name?" I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't remember your name. But just like going, introducing him to someone, being going, "I'm sorry, help me with your name again." See, somehow I always get the people that are like, they'll give me a good handshake and they'll be like, you don't remember me at all, do you? 
I get oh, that yeah. one. Like, a lot. Is I that, that just on my face? Like, is that just on my face? Is that what my face is saying to you? Like, that I don't remember? I had, I had, or even some be- are offended and they get pissed. Like, there was this girl I ran into a couple weeks ago who I'd met at this cool event that was all girls, saw her again at a show, and I was like, hey, what's up? I was like, um, tell me your name again. And she got so pissed and she walked off. She's maybe next time you'll remember my name. I was like, well, at least I fucking asked, girl. Like, yeah. Like, I'm trying to be nice. Next time I just won't even say hi because fuck you. Yeah. Come on. I really want to (laughs) know. I think I think getting offended is the wrong way to go about it, man. It's like it's like, oh, introduce yourself again, because then they'll feel like so bad about not remembering who you are. They will make an effort to commit your name to memory. What's that? Ideally, that whole disconnect about like, you know, like when people come to see you and some other town you know it's like you know I, you know i'm it's that what you were talking about earlier about it's like well i've been doing this for like you know a week now right and i don't like the last time we were here i think we talked for five minutes and i sorry dude i don't remember i'm in a different city think, around tons of people all the time i don't remember so right sorry. Yeah. we only we our brain only has the ability to keep track of about 150 people I, 150 oh, people. Man, I learned. Mine's way less than that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? I learned, uh, I learned the hard way about names. I used to have this friend in town who had legitimately t- changed his name, legally changed his name to Heavy Duty. I remember Heavy Duty. Yeah, Heavy. Is Heavy still around? I don't know. But so, <laughs> so this dude, we would hang out all the time and he would take me. You know, he introduced me to Dave Brocky, who ended up being one of my good friends, who's actually where Kuda came from. He was the one that called Kuda, called me Kuda. And um, and then, you know, he would take me to all these great shows, to Slayer and Clutch and Guar and all this shit. And I'd always be backstage and I'd always be meeting everybody and all this shit. And I was really young. And I forgot his name, like, right out of the gate. And... Um, I knew it was something fucked up, but I totally couldn't remember it. And we hung out all the time. Like, I had totally surpassed any appropriate window to ask him what his name was. And one night we're at the lair, and I had had enough to drink. And I was like, dude, what the fuck is your name anyway? And let me tell you, this is after about probably eight months (laughs) of me calling him dude, right? Right. And he goes, Karen, I knew you didn't know my name this whole fucking time. I was waiting to see how long it would take you to ask me. (laughs) Eight months. So, so ever since then, if I don't remember someone's name, I just you know just tell ask. them like, I don't, no, "Hey man, no, I don't remember your name." Yeah, or steal their wallet. Is the best policy, really. Or steal their wallet. So there was this guy I was working at Mission um, a few weeks ago, and what show was it for? I want to say it was for like King Gizzard or something. Oh, cool. Anyway, there's this guy standing at the merch booth, and it's probably been ten years since I've seen Heavy, and you know he like got sober and then got all into like weightlifting and like super like anyway so i see this guy and he was older then this dude looked much older and he looked exactly like him and i'm just staring at him and i'm thinking like oh if he recognizes (laughs) me he might say something i'm just staring at him i'm just staring at him waiting for him to do like it's fucking distracting and i go up to him finally i mean he looked exactly like him and i went up to i was trying to like check out his tattoos and see if i remembered them or whatever and i go up to this guy and i was like hey man what's your name and he goes, Chris. And I was like, cool, where are you from? He's like, New, uh, North Carolina. I was like, all right. And he's looking at me kind of weird. Like, I didn't, couldn't tell if he was for real or if he was full of shit. And I was just like, dude, this, 
this is heavy and he's just saying this to me because he hasn't you know because he's weird and he hasn't seen me in forever right I, I don't know it was a really weird experience though it was like did you ever was it him or was it not I him? don't know I mean he said it wasn't him but I'm pretty sure it was him I because I, I looked just like him but like 10 years older <sighs> <laughs> and I mean, he has pretty distinctive. No, he's a distinct. And he a had a New York character. accent, and like the oh, whole. Yeah. I was like, dude, this has to be heavy. Have you ever, um, have you ever forgotten an ex? Have you ever done that before? Uh, I ran into an ex girlfriend at one of our shows <laughs> once, and she came up and she's like, "Aaron, oh my god, it's so good to see you." And she gave me a hug and pulled back, and I gave her that like half smile, just like vacant stare, and she goes. You don't fucking remember me, and she got really mad, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh!" Well, oh. How, what, what, what are we talking about with X here, though? Like, you just hooked up a couple no, times. No, we were together. Or? We were together for a little while. She was like, I called, I referred to her as my girlfriend. She stayed at my house, and you didn't remember her. She had changed a lot. She looked, she did look way different than when we dated, and several years had passed. And I was, in all fairness, a raging alcoholic at the time. But yeah, I mean, she looked way different. She got she got upset and she got a little hurt and got a little offended. I felt really bad. But what always ends up happening when I don't recognize someone right away is when I do recognize them and like my brain puts the pieces together. There's like this very genuine and sincere like wave of not only relief, which is also present, but relief and like excitement about not only seeing that person again. And the re- and recognizing that person, but also like the excitement of when you like solve a puzzle, like <laughs> when you're doing like the morning yay, jumble, and it. you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's it, awesome. Aaron Howell, this is your oh, life. <laughs> this is your life. Um, hey, I, I have heard many stories from in passing of like, oh, I met somebody the other day that knows you. And I'm like, oh yeah, who's that? Well, he said he dated you. His name is Fred or fuck whatever. And I'm like, nope, never dated a Fred. Uh, no, he said he did. No, I'm 100% certain. I'm I never dated somebody with that name. And that shit happens to me all day. Or I met somebody that knows you. She just came into my bar in Minnesota. Her name is this and this and this and this. And I'm like, and then so I look her up on face and I'm like, nope, never seen her in my life. Like, no, shit happens to me all the time. You mean, I, I, I have had the experience where I've met, ba- I've met people on the road who claim to be just like amazing, like best friends with someone from a band. And they're like, they're like, oh yeah, I'm friends with so-and-so and so. I'm texting them right now and telling them about you guys and da 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 And oh, they say they remember you from like... We were on tour in Seattle once, and I met this woman who I'm swore. I'm guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> I met this woman who swore that she, Valiant Thor were like her best friends. Like she was just like she was like, oh, I love those guys. I'm I'm texting you know Benny and Herbie right now and saying I'm Hello. watching you guys and da da da. Herbie. And then like I met, I met Herbie at a show. And I was like, yeah, I met some really good friend of yours. And I like gave him the name. And, and it was actually the night that you and I and Herbie were sitting at Three Kings when uh, Brief Lives came through town. Okay. And I, I had like a five-minute fanboy out on fucking Herbie. I was like, I promise I will only do this once. And I'll never do it to you again. And I won't get weird. But, dude, you are like my fucking hero. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And like Aww, went off. so lovely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a big fa- I'm a big fan of that guy. I had that, I had that happen, too. I was working at the Horseshoe. And this guy was like... 
somehow Mastodon was on the the jukebox or whatever radio, and he's like, "Oh man, I know I know Mastodon," and I was like, "Yeah, me too, man." And he's like, "I'm Brent's cousin," and I was like, "Oh, cool, man. I've known Brent for like 20 years." He's like, oh, yeah, I'm his cousin. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's fucking rad. Cool, man. I was like, let's take a picture and send it to him. So we do. And Brent <laughs> writes back, like, almost immediately. And he's like, never seen that dude in my life. <laughs> I was just like. You know, the dude was like, as soon as this picture gets sent, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, it's time for me to go. Uh, yeah, I'll see you. <laughs> Tell Brent I said hi. I'm going to text you back. Bye. <laughs> hey, uh, I want to hear some, uh, some Egoista stuff. So why don't we take a quick break and uh, Gordo, if you want to look some of that stuff up, we can. There's four live tracks av- available. Is that's all we've got so far? So I want to. I want to hear it. So if you're if you're into it, I'd like to do a live listen through on on your favorite track. So we're gonna take a quick break and we come back. We're gonna we're gonna listen to some of your new stuff. Uh, be right back. Okay. Oh God, I was I was on fire at work the other night working at Globe Hall and this guy comes up and he goes, um, so he'll have the, or like the guy looks at him and tells him what he wants and the guy tells me and like, you'll see that a lot with like girlfriends and boyfriends and this dude does it and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, are we in junior high where you're like passing him a note and going like, <laughs> I like you, like yes or no. I was like, are you afraid to talk to me? <laughs> I was totally just blowing everyone's oh, yeah. shit that night. It was I've, great. I've had that happen where like someone will like whisper their order to their partner and then their partner will be like you know he'll have the da 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 like if someone's more soft spoken there's definitely like the la- the large and in charge in command person in the relationship and I've seen it go both ways it's not always like the the lady will have type of situation can it's, I have a glass of milk he'll have a glass of milk <laughs> and then he'll pull the right? card out so, yeah, so when I gave him his receipt at the end of the night, I put two little boxes, and then I said, yes or no? <laughs> Do you like me? Yes or no? <laughs> hey, want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors. First and foremost, Matula Plumbing. Matula! This Plains, Illinois, shit rolls downhill. <laughs> I missed that Don't, one. You, you did. You, you, okay, you one more fast. time. No, I'm not that fast. You just weren't paying attention. <laughs> you were itching your nose or something. One more time. Well, first and foremost, our most venerable Navin aerial sponsor, Matula Plumbing. Matula! Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. <laughs> Angie's List. Super Service Award winner back in 2011. 2011. The only year that matters. The only one is 1-1. And a big part of that is, um, well, just because Jerry Matula will wear the booties for you. So if you're in uh, the Chicago area and you need some plumbing work done, hit up my boy Jerry Matula. Tell him the boys sent you. Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios at 27th and Larimer in the heart of downtown Denver in the Rhino District. Uh, hourly rehearsal rental spaces. Fucking awesome, by the way. Awesome place. And so is the gal that owns it and runs it. Yeah, of we had course. Kate on the show. She was She's great. So great. Dude, Kate's episode was one of the most popular episodes we've ever done. People love that For gal. For real? For real. That's great. People love Kate. And you want to know why? They should love Kate cause it's because she's fucking awesome. Yeah, every she's band, it's because every band goes in there and they just have so much respect for Kate. So, uh, yeah, go to Rocket Space. 
Uh, mostly because you ain't got to carry shit. Never. Never. You just show up, plug in, play. You can go have a uh, go have a drink with Mikey Mulligan over at the Larimer Lounge. Or me. Or you. Or Karen Kuda. When are you normally there, Karen? Never. Never? <laughs> <laughs> She's not there. I'm always at Globe Hall anymore. Uh, we'll go to Globe Hall and see Karen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rocket Space. Tell them the boy sent you. Uh, thenugnation.com. We record this podcast and a bunch of other shit here at an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of Rhino, the Nug Nation Studios, where we were making amazing stuff. I took Karen on the tour, as I do with all our guests. And, uh, oh, man, I forgot to show you some of the props. That's one thing I forgot to do. We got some cool stuff going on over here, man. And uh, there's some big things coming out in 2020, uh, some collaborations with some artists you have definitely heard of. It's going to be a ton of fun. In the meantime, go to thenugnation.com. Check out the content that we have made. You can see uh, interviews I did as Bong Burgundy with Red Man and Afro Man and the Nappy Roots. And you can see our video with Billy Ray Cyrus. You can see and, and you can see all the episodes, all the silly, goofy, ridiculous episodes of those nugs and their crazy, wacky adventures through the town of Nugville. Nugnation.com. You gonna out. get uh you gonna get Miley on here now that you know Billy Ray? Actually, we probably we have access now. Like, and I think he kind the of door is open. Let I, you let me know because I want to party with her. Yeah, I, I she think seems a, like a fun person. She does seem like a fun person. I love person. Miley. Did you see the episode of Black Mirror she was on? Mm-hmm. I sure as hell did. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was my probably like third or fourth least favorite episode of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Well, that that goes for me too. But it was really cool that she was in it and it was fun and it was cool like I think what really made my skin crawl the most was the parody of Head Like a Hole that they did throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it was pretty weird. How much money do you think they had to give Trent Reznor for that? Probably quite a grip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I mean they couldn't have gotten away with it without paying Trent Reznor a fuckload of money, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was that I was the, imagine. that was the part that made me like audibly you know when you like fold your arms to where you can hear it and go <sighs> And it's one of those things where it's like they, they didn't only cover the song, they like repurposed and re They like, changed wrote, the lyrics. They, they changed all the lyrics. It was a parody. It was super weird. Did you see that? I saw it, but I don't remember that part. Man, the song. It's that, probably when I was at home being a loner stoner. The 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 song that she does throughout the whole thing, like the song that like starts as a pop song and then at the end of it evolves into like a rock and roll song when she like seizes her career back, was head like a hole, but it was like it was like super uplifting and positive. And then at the end of it, when she finds her authentic voice, she changes the lyrics back to the original lyrics for head like a hole. I mean, it's worth a watch. It is Miley Cyrus on Black Mirror, so it's fun, but it was it was not my favorite episode. Anyway, thenugnation.com. Check it out. Uh, oh, Evergroove Studio up in Evergreen, Colorado. Evergroove. Uh, just the most beautiful, state-of-the-art studio with the most beautiful, hardworking, sweet, amazing staff in the world. Solar-powered. In the middle of the Black and Shadow Mountain region of Evergreen, it's uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Hit them up. Go see Brad and Jenny and the Ethans about your next project. Flipside Music on South Tacoma Street. All the stuff you want. None of the stuff you don't. All the crap from the big box stores <coughs> is just thrown in a dumpster and only the good shit is kept there. Only rad shit. Flipside Music. 
Go see Ike, Archmaster of the Order of the Baldman, and he'll uh, he'll take good care of you. It's Baldsman, man. The Baldsman. Baldsman. <laughs> That's our word. Uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, Mutiny Information Cafe. Yeah. To South Broadway in Denver, Colorado. This is a mutiny transmission. Go to Mutiny Information Cafe, the the cultural oasis in the heart of Denver. Books, records, comics, uh, and old Denver lore, if you catch the right person there on the right day. Merch, so, pinball. Merch, pinball. Shows. Live events, yeah. And they do movies, podcasts poetry, in the basement. So yeah. much stuff. It's an amazing place. It is literally... Coffee. Yeah. It is and the apparently coolest. now records. Yeah, yeah, as well. They've been doing records for a minute. And oh yeah, they're putting out records. Oh, putting out records. Yeah, 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 like yeah including including my former band Hemi Kuda. Well, and my favorite part is that no one has a larger selection of Torini syrups. Nobody. It's true. It's like almost like a million combinations, possible combinations of Torini syrups there. It's crazy. Mutiny Information Cafe. Tell Jim and Matt that the boys sent you. And finally, I'd like to give a shout out, uh, last but most, to the lovely, wonderful, generous people who back us on patreon.com slash mfruckus. You guys make the goddamn world go round. Thanks to you, we're able to do this podcast and we're able to do our comic. And you know, I gave you a copy of the comic. It's pretty, yeah. pretty neat looking, huh? Yeah. It's tons can of I fun. Can I color it? I want to color it. Yeah, you can color it if you want to. Hey, we should sell them as coloring books. I'll bet they'll sell a lot better. Dude, totally. Max Mac Sabbath is making Max Sabbath coloring books that they're for their merch table. Are they? Yeah, yeah just give it. Give like a little tape, a little pack Tap of a little crayons crayon box on there. To it. Yeah, Grant has got a coloring book coming you, soon. You guys have a coloring book coming? That's really cool. Oh, that's gonna be bitching. What does too. that say Josh about stuff? What does that say about our our fan base? You know, just that they're like all like parents with very little time but to get out and see like one hour of a show and then they got to get hum- something home and give something to the kids or children or children children do come see us play anyway uh our patrons you guys are awesome thank you so much for everything you guys do to keep us afloat now we're going to listen to like you guys haven't even played your first show, right? Or you're getting ready to play your first show. Yeah, our first show is going to be October 13th at the Gothic Theater. With Strung Out and... With Strung Out and Casualties and Get There Early. That's going to be We're badass. on, you know, in the unimportant spot from 7.30 to 8 sharp. So come check it out. <laughs> at the unimportant spot. God, that spot is so tough. We did that at the, at the Judah show and it was just like... Crickets. Dude, it's so hard. I mean, I mean, fortunately for the strung out crowd, I think they draw a lot of kids and kids are eager to get there earlier. They want to get there early, yeah. So, so, you know, we'll see. We were added to the bill, so. Right. And it's. So we'll see, but. It's yeah, enough to get your name in front of people and it's enough to like the people that are there that are seeing you for the first time, like that's your foot in the door. It wedges you in. It, it's. It's a good way to establish yourself on the onset. That and I really just, after being friends with the Strung Out guys for 20 years, I just wanted to rock with them. Yeah. That's another Finally. thing, too, is I want to play shows that I want to go to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you go to that. We're going to listen now to a track you guys did with Bart at the Crash Pad when you were on live from the Crash Pad, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what song are we listening to? This song is going to be Lion's Heart. Okay, cool. This is uh, the first song we all learned together, and um, this is a live track. We'll have some studio versions of recording soon. 
Is it hard for you to listen to your own stuff with other people or you're fine with it? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because it's just a live thing. I right. feel like it doesn't translate as well as it could. Right, right. Sounds good intro, to me. But I, uh, I booked that show kind of in haste, so we've been filling in the gaps to have product and kind of have some shit available before we get on stage. This doesn't sound live. It sounds really good. I mean, he overdubs, like, some of the parts that you fuck up. Guitar, he overdubs vocals so that they can isolate. Cool. Bleed. But cool. for the most part, it's live. I mean, he did this in, like, you know, two takes. It's tight as fuck. Who's doing the lead vocal? Marco. Marco. And playing guitar. Ruben on drums. Solid bass. This part was really hard, let me tell ya. <laughs> it's really fun to get to sing a lot again. It's kind of like Hemikuda with boys. It's really cool, man. Down, down to them going like, oh my god, what are we gonna wear? Like, <laughs> oh, you guys. That's adorable. Like, you made the comment about, like, that was really difficult. Let me tell you, that's the thing. Like, the mark of a really amazing bass player is someone... I mean, someone... I was teasing. Well, no, but I know. Oh. I, I <laughs> I'm saying the mark of a really good bass player is, like, being able to play simple things right and consistently for a long period of time, you know? It's a rhythm instrument. So where 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 can people find all the egoista stuff right now? Uh, well, if you are in Denver, you can come to the show on Sunday, October thirteenth, at the Gothic Theater, and catch us from seven thirty to eight. After that, Strung Out and the Casualties will be playing. So, gonna be a kick-ass show all around. We'll have shirts and shit for sale there, which are gonna be super bitching. Cool. And uh, after the show, they'll be available online at uh, Rockstock bigcartel.com and you can find these live tracks we've got four live tracks available for your listening pleasure at egoista which is e-g-o-i-s-t-a dot bandcamp.com and the uh, logo is also, bitching by yeah, the way the logo is great. and you can also follow us at egoista band on instagram cool are you gonna are you gonna just forego facebook uh it just hasn't happened yet that thing is so annoying. <laughs> I feel like it's circling the drain too. Like after I took after I took my break from it, I like just started checking notifications and I was like, this is all ads and 
and event invites. Like, there's not even anything to engage with here. Yeah, we'll we'll get there, but it's you know, yeah. we're uh, you might you might just stick with Instagram for a bit. I think. I really do think that Facebook is circling the drain or it's going to turn into something else. We'll see. Well, and there's also the fact that you don't – I don't feel like there needs to be a lot of content that goes along with anything. A little picture, a little song blurb, a little this or that. You could put it on Instagram, link it to your right. Facebook. You know, There's no need for long-winded shit or inundating people with invites for every single thing when they don't even live in the country. Right, right. You <laughs> yeah. Know, I'm always like, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. I'll be there. Like, could you not have unclicked me real quick? <laughs> yeah. But co- at least, you know, what people are up to, you know, it's cool for Facebook's been a cool resource for me having so many friends all around the world as much as people poo-poo it. And, no, it's a huge resource. Uh, and it's, and it, and good it, for fundraising and stuff when, when I've had a hard time, when friends of mine have had a hard time since, you know, GoFundMe is the U.S. national health care plan. Right, pretty much, um, right. But it has been, you know, it has been cool for a No, I mean, it's reasons. it's amazing to get get connected like that and it I am just seeing the the platform is is has been getting bloated for kind of a long time and and uh and I don't know, like I I have detected that a lot of people are are departing on mass. So, well, we'll see. part of that's the inundation probably with all the politics. It it cha- right. it took a turn from People talking about their lives and fun, silly shit to talking about politics, which I people get. People just it's barbecuing also, each other on the internet, man. which you know can also be a good platform for for information. And then, as we've seen, can also be a massive resource for propaganda and right. really fucking with people, which has been legitimately proven that that's been happening. Oh yeah, harming people's like thinking. So, like like changing the way people think. Did it's you see that? Did you see that documentary about? I think it's called the Big Hack on Netflix about the um, them like selling their information and about uh, what were they called? Um, Cambridge Analytical. Yes. No. That, what was that is about? fucked up. So it's an agency that's basically takes metadata and and. Um, algorithms and they monitor everyone's Facebook stuff. They say, do you ever see an ad after you talk about something or, oh, yeah. you know, they, they take all of these things and very specifically direct things. They can figure out where you're going kind of preemptively. Oh, right, 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 right. And so yeah. it ends up being a huge propaganda machine and they were hired by Russia um, more, or less to, more or less to affect the election in 2016. Um, but they've done multiple campaigns that they've been hired by, you know, foreign sources to manipulate the American public. They had a right. huge, they had a huge uh, part of the Brexit oh, yeah. uh, that, that too. campaign yeah. and, and Trump's campaign too. Yeah, a big a big the part of what they do. Thing, all the oh, slogans yeah. and shit yep. that people have come up with yep. a, a lot of times came from them. It's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty scary. And then people just yeah. regurgitate that shit. They see it oh, over yeah. and over and over and over again. And just yeah. like you were talking about you know, advertising for a show or, and then, and then they're able to direct all of these things, whether they're legitimate resources or not to exactly who wants to see them. I mean, if you, if you land on the liberal side, your whole feed's going to be full of all of these things that are relevant to your way of thinking and vice versa. Yeah. Filter bubbles and echo chambers, man. The, the, uh, the, the interesting thing is, is how the algorithms are designed, not necessarily to direct you towards more stuff that'll interest you, but they're de- designed to make you more predictable. They're designed to go, okay, well, you fit these, 
you know, you you share these things in common with these other users that we have. So we're going to just use little bits of information and kind of direct you towards the way that you, we can predict your through your Go through your ad preferences, man, in Facebook. It will blow your fucking mind. I'm sure there's some really? weird stuff. Dude, seriously, go go through in, there, in your settings, man. I, I would encourage anyone to, t- to take a look at it. It's, I'm afraid to do it. It You should be. That's why all these cute, <laughs> cute dresses and cool clothes and shit come Dude. up. And I'm such a sucker for that stuff. Sarah like, was online. Sarah was showing me her um her Instagram feed and she sees more ads than I do. And a reason for that is there is an algorithm that is designed to target people who are more likely to buy. And she does a lot of online shopping and is a little more fast and loose with her credit card. That must be why I get so many more Dude. now. Because I'm a I, sucker for that shit. I hardly get any ads because I hardly do any online shopping. I do it once in a while, but for the most part, especially with the baby and everything, all I have time to do is pay bills and invest in the band. So I get a few ads, but they're mostly like, you know, men's clothing things or whatever. But they're like, uh, you know, buy this design software or buy this recording software or buy, you know, this new instrument or blah, blah, blah. Hers is like every other photo is an ad. It's crazy, ma'am. Man. It's totally crazy. Um, well, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna call it there. Karen, I really appreciate you coming in and talking My with me. My pleasure. Sorry I didn't get so high on ice cream that I became totally hilarious. <laughs> no, I'll but, send you uh, home with some stuff. And and, and <laughs> You've really, already seen me like that, so it's cool, man. Well, and she's like, <laughs> Gordo, she asked me, she goes, I don't know what we're going to talk about for three hours. And I'm like, don't worry. It, it flies by. Like, it, ten- it tends to sort to itself To be honest, out. it was a little daunting. I was like, I haven't spoken to a person yet today, but I've drank lots of coffee, so hopefully it's I can perform. <laughs> no, once, yeah, once I know what boys feel like. Once you get, <laughs> <laughs> once you get like things moving, like once the conversation starts, like it just takes a natural course. We we could have gone another hour. Well, and I appreciate There's, your your thoughtful inquisitions that they're not just the cliche interview no. questions. It's like, what's the craziest thing that happened on tour? I mean, I could go on for hours about that shit, but I legitimately, uh, that'll be another episode. My only agenda in doing this show is getting to know more about people I'm curious about. Aww. And I've known you a long time and and I and I mean this in all sincerity like you were the best fit for Nashville Pussy when you Aww, were in that band. Thank you. The, in my opinion, the years that you were in there were better than the Corey Parks years. Aww, like thanks. I th- I think that you represented a I liked to pride myself on being a little more musical. I think that when you were in Nashville Pussy and whoever the girl was that was on Say Something Nasty, I can't remember who who was on. Katie. When you and Katie were in the band, to me, it seemed like Nashville Pussy was less of a shtick. Mm -hmm. It seemed very like a legitimate rock and roll band. And I feel like the early albums were maybe a little more gimmicky. Bonnie is very much like that. She's very rock and roll, too. And speaking of, I'm going to plug my old band just because they, you know, because I love them. Um, October 16th at Lost Lake, Nashville Pussy. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. So who's co- come who's check opening out the for them? Who got that gig? Uh, Wild Call. Wild Call got that and gig. And then That'll a be band good. called Last Rhino that I'd never heard oh, of. Oh, we've played with Last Rhino. They're Last good. R- yeah, Last Rhino is good. Yeah, we've played with them before. But, I mean, 
we've you know we worked together at the one up and that you know you were there for a short period of time did you do the rockaway too did you do that at i didn't all? do rockaway no. no i mean we've always just known each other very casually and i've and been then you guys used to open for national pussy all the time all the time all the time we had a running joke that was like we're mf ruckus national pussies in town what time do we go on stage <laughs> <laughs> that's great but that, no, National that Pussy's makes me got, feel really good. Uh, they've got great. a new, they've got a new fire. You know, they're they've got a, a relatively new drummer. He's been around for a few years. Young dude, kicks ass. Ben, Bonnie's kicking ass on bass. Yeah, as, no. as territorial as I was to my bass lines, I'm like, she's she pretty. She's fucking does. Oh, all she's right. good, man. She's when, good. No, it's, it's good. It's last a good time set. we played with them, it was it was a great time. And and uh, and I'll always love Blaine and Ryder. Blaine's my BFF. It's no. it's uh. It'll be a super fun rock and roll show if anyone's into that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll see you there. Um, well, thank you so much for coming and sitting down Thanks and talking with me. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, thank all of you. Thanks to all of you for listening. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you uh, like, share, subscribe, do all the stuff that you do. Sorry we weren't able to do the um, the live stream this time. I think Karen was probably a little relieved by not having cameras and having this thing but streamed on. But I put on. lipstick on and I know, stuff. And, and just... I didn't even know that was a thing. I just... You, you just came, you just came <laughs> like that regardless. I'm always ready for a rock show. I'm always ready. Uh, yeah. What? Oh, one for the homies. That's right. So, Karen, every episode that we do, we finish with the guest gets to give a shout out to a band that they love, that they feel um, deserves a little extra love, uh, maybe a little more recognition, a friend's band or something, and we'll tag it on to the end of the episode uh, while people are deciding what podcast to listen to next. Shit, man. I should have gotten this memo like way longer ago so I could think about it. Cause it's fun to put you on the spot, though. Because then it's the. Fuck, I don't know, like a local band? It can be a local band. It can just be kind of an up and coming friends band. It can be. It could be your own band. It can be anything. Well, of course I'm going to plug my own band, Egoista, because we're brand new. So we need lots of love. Okay. We're all we're all traumatized, damaged individuals. We need. We need hugs and kisses and weed and audience members. And so. I would say, I would say, it's on brand for a band called Egoista to do their <laughs> own one for the homies. Shout out at the hey. end. Hey, I, I would have, I would have a better answer had I not been on the spot. No, not so good on the spot. I think it's great. And Why as don't soon we... as I leave, I'm going to be like, oh my god, and then and then and then. Well, but, I guess we'll know. just have to have you back on then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Let's just do another track. Do you have a track in mind from that recording? Uh, uh, sure. Let's end it uh, quick quick and easy with Heyday. Cool. All right. So this is Heyday by Egoista. Make sure to go check them out October 13th at the Gothic Theater with Strung Out and the Casualties. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Aaron Howell. I'm Gordo. I'm Karen Kuda. Yay. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week. Bye.
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 